The thing about this guy is that his IMDb rivals the Tobolowski. Oh, it does. No, it, first of all, I think that they've gotten a lot of parts that were either slated for the other guy or they were flipping a coin for both of them, right? Oh, guy, and they're both amazing in everything they do. I mean, yeah. their work is just stellar. I, I think, honestly, for me, most memorable's got to be Office Space. Has to be. Right? Yes. I mean, hey, Peter Man, turn on Channel 9 <laughs> and <laughs> Doesn't that chick look like I am? <laughs> it's too perfect. I gotta wake my ass up 6.30 this morning doing the drywall up Las Vegas. <laughs> the new McDonald's. Is, oh, God. His deliveries, everything. I mean, Napoleon Dynamite. I mean, as a film, fine film, but his character in that one, Rex Quando, just <laughs> another fucking level. <laughs> well, the best part, too, is, you know, with a lot of guys that come from sketch comedy backgrounds, is he'll do these goofy-ass characters like an office space or even something as stupid as the dad and vampires suck, which he's actually really funny in. <laughs> I'm sure he is. But the dry humor in uh, Veep. Oh, God, just... yes. <laughs> wow. I mean, that show, the cast in that show is, I've never seen a cast like that. Right. Well, and, and you know, there's range not just between drama and comedy, but there's a lot of range just within comedy, and he's got the full spectrum. It's... I'm never mad when he's listed as uh, you know somebody who's in something. No, same here, man. He's he's. I celebrate the man's entire catalog. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, while I do agree, and we could probably talk about him for an hour, it's probably time to get to the real episode. So, hey, everybody, uh, it's Cole and Jed. We're here for another episode of Cigarette Burns. Uh, we've been really focusing, I think, a lot on my favorites and uh, everything that I went to in my life to enjoy film. And today, this is this is Jed's bread and butter. We are going to talk about Spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> and it's what Jed has been waiting to talk about his entire life. Some may say I've been practicing for this moment since I was five years old, been preparing for it. And, I mean, today is the day. I'm so excited. We're not going to hear a lot from Cole today. You might, he might get a word in here or there. It's unlikely my mic will be on most of the time. You're going to hear reviews and you'll hear recommendations. And other than that, it's just going to be Jed. So good talking to you guys. I am so excited to talk about Back to the Future. Let's get through these yeah. fucking reviews. Um, I'm going to go first. <laughs> How about, yep, all right? go ahead. What, what you got? So I saw The Mustang, which uh, I give an 8.1 out of 10. Really enjoyed the film. Very heavy film. It's got Bruce Dern in it. Connie Britton has a small role. Uh, Matthias Schoenarts is, if I'm pronouncing that name correctly, I have no idea if I am. He makes this movie. He keeps the whole thing together. His performance throughout is remarkable. And uh, I think he's already had quite a career, but this is the first time I'm really noticing him. And I'm sure he's going right. to go on to do many, many things on the strength of his performance in The Mustang, which is a film about redemption, the prison system, all these kind of different themes. 
The only reason I'm not giving it a higher score is because, quite frankly, it had a subplot that really wasn't necessary and didn't serve as a story. Um, they had enough in the main threads. They didn't really need the subplot that they had. And so the film was just very enjoyable overall, very powerful. Uh, emotionally, honestly, it, it got to me. Not like the film we're going to talk about today, but it did get to me a little bit. But close. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of people are going to say, hey, okay, have you not seen the Mustang? Did you like Back to the Future? Because <laughs> if you liked Back to the Future, you'll enjoy this redemption story about an ex-con. Exactly. Or current con, yeah. I guess. I, I think it's while he's in prison. Yes, it is. It's while he's in prison. You train horses. Back to the Future 4, the Mustang. Don't even say Back to the Future 4, Cole. That's sacrilege. <laughs> it's, hey, it's not going to happen. You don't. Oh, I worry. know it's not going to happen. Zemeckis already said, not while I'm alive. Zemeckis which, and Gale, it's not going to fucking yeah, happen. I get it. Dude, you are <laughs> you are getting way too excited way too early. The tendons have healed a little tight. <laughs> I didn't come at you this hard with Gladiator. Jesus. That's true. That's true. Um, and we're just getting warmed up here. Anyway, what about you? What reviews? What have you been watching? So there's a little short that both you and I watched on Netflix about Robert Johnson, who's credited with starting the blues yeah uh, it's called devil at the crossroads and it's a really interesting story it's about a young man who uh you know all these guys keith richards eric clapton all these great guitarists you know led you know the whole group led zeppelin are all inspired by this guy's voice this guy's lyrics this guy's ability to play guitar and he kind of came out of nowhere and started playing guitar in a way that nobody had ever played it I mean, I was first introduced to his music through an Eric Clapton record from like 05 that Clapton just recorded Robert Johnson songs, of which his entire catalog is only 29 tunes. Like so little is known about this guy. And the short is 45 minutes long and it talks to somebody who's, you know, his great grandson, talks to other people who were inspired by him, what about him uh, inspires them. But his whole life is a myth. And that's one of the interesting things about a documentary is a lot of the stuff is unsubstantiated. A lot of the stuff is we think this is what happened. Urban legend says this is what happened. Um, and it sets itself up really well for I hope somebody options this guy's life into a movie. Because if there's a way to get even deeper into it, which was my complaint about the documentary. It's fine to watch. I would have liked some more stuff from Keith Richards. I would have liked anything from Clapton who's obsessed with him and talks about he was my blues uh, inspiration in the sixties. Like that's why I started playing the blues. Um, but I give it a five out of 10. It's a fine watch. It's a quick watch, but it's a little too cartoony in certain places for me where they're trying to, um, use visuals to probably make up for the fact that there's just not a lot known. I mean, there's only two pictures of the guy. There's not any information on him. And that's what kind of annoyed me when I was watching it is, you guys have told me everything you know in the first 10 minutes, and now you're just repeating that for 45 and extending right. it. So even if they made a film, there would have to be some definite license taken in terms of what they're going to make this story actually be and kind of fill in those those blanks and those holes. But for me, like I was just initially disappointed because I thought this was going to be a documentary about the making of the Ralph Macchio film. Obviously, as we both were. <laughs> Uh, because it wasn't, I mean, I'm going to give it, you know, a 5.3. Sure. I get you. I mean, anything that doesn't have Ralph Macchio, it's going to be tough to climb up the ladder. I get that. I know you haven't seen Cobra Kai season two. I don't think you finished season one, but season two was not as good as season one, but still amazing in that show. I don't know how they managed to pay homage and have a comedy and have seriousness and just keep that tone perfect throughout the entire series. That's a show that I just, I really enjoyed that. 
I can't wait to watch it. The problem is they keep renewing it. It just got renewed for season three, yeah. and it's like I I I got to use a free YouTube <laughs> Red trial to watch it. Also, I'll probably have to wait till it gets canceled because I'm not buying YouTube Red. Yeah, you, who knows what it'll be by then? Because it was YouTube Red. Now it's YouTube Premium. It'll probably be YouTube Ultra or some shit by that by that time. Well, as long as it starts becoming YouTube Jed gives Cole his login, then we're fine. I can catch up with it. <laughs> so true. you let me know, man. Good point. Uh, anything else? Yes. So I saw the long shot. Uh, gigantic fan. Jess and I went. We went to one of those Sinopolis or Sinopolis mm-hmm. theaters. I'd never been to like one before. Dining, Very, right? It was nice. It, yeah, yeah. It was fine. Although I did notice they pronounced it Sinopolis. I'm not going to do that. But uh, it it was very comfortable, sat in these really nice chairs and watched one of the best romantic comedies I've seen in the last five or six years. Uh, it, it did some things that I think are missing from even some of our favorite romantic comedies, which were, I don't think the two romantic leads, which Charlize Theron and, and Seth Rogen, who wouldn't put them together, are, <laughs> they, they don't lose their own characters without, within the movie. You know, when Seth Rogen goes up to talk to Charlize Theron the first time, it's not like he all of a sudden can't uses or, or say a sentence he doesn't forget how to be himself um there are some hijinks there are some pratfalls there are some you know sort of sight gags but there's no element of him losing his intelligence or her dumbing herself down or anything like that they remain fully fledged characters throughout the movie which i think leads to the romance leads to the comedy but also there's a lot of heartwarming scenes in the film that, I mean, by the time you're done with it, and it's a two-hour romantic comedy, which usually I like them to be a little less than that, but, I mean, I enjoyed the whole thing uh, front to back, and I, I I give it a 7.5. I thought it was great. Now, I will say this. It's as though the people who made the film sent me a letter and said, Cole, what are all the things you want to see in a movie? <laughs> uh, political, romance, uh, comedy, and boys to men is in the film. So I had basically every box checked for me. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I think we're going to try to check it out this weekend. Yeah, oh, Jess and I loved it. And, you know, I will say this. Charlize Theron is incredibly funny. And I I don't think gets credit for being funny. And she's also stunning in this film. Like, Jess and I were looking at each other like, I mean, she's just stunning. It was was unbelievable. Uh, It was a very well-made film. Uh, Jonathan Levine directed it, and he did a very good job. He did 50-50 with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I love that movie. It's got Um, my girl Anna Kendrick in it. That's Why do you think I brought that up? (laughs) So, uh, guys, go out and check out Longshot. Uh, After your third or fourth time seeing Avengers Endgame, give this one uh, a chance. You'll like it. Well, uh, I think... Are you about ready, man? It's not about whether I'm ready. It's about whether you're ready. I just wanted to make sure you had your mind right. Oh, I'm I'm in I'm in the zone. I've got all the yas, uh-huh's, and good point jeds all locked and loaded. So I think it's time uh we gotta get into it. Let's do it. Steven Spielberg presents Back to the Future, a Robert Zemeckis film. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Well history is gonna change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. It worked! It's a flying saucer from outer space! Now, he's trapped in the past. This has got to be a dream. About to meet... Chocolate. His future father. He's a peeping tough. 
And he's making an impression on his mother. He's an absolute dream. And he can sleep in my room. Anything you do can have serious repercussions on future events. Now, he's got to make his mother and father fall in love. I haven't even been born yet. And only Dr. Brown can help him get back to the future. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Precisely. Michael J. Fox. Whoa, this is heavy. Christopher Lloyd. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Back to the future. Oh my god, I'm so fucking excited. <laughs> I just... Yeah, uh-huh. Good point, Jed. I really hope I can form sentences. Uh, I'm going to try to bring it back. I know that you can't obviously see Jed, but his hands were above his head and like yep. locked behind his head. Like he's too he's too excited. I think he's feeling the pressure a little bit, but uh, we're just going to let him go because I've had many of these discussions with him before. So, uh, Jed... Why don't you just kind of, do you want to take us through just like the stat sheet? Like who's involved, who did it, who made yeah, it? Yeah, I'm going to take us through the stat sheet. First, I just want to talk about like where my love of this film and of Michael J. Fox kind of came from. I actually saw this film for the first time um, when it was on TV. My mom had recorded it for me. And so I watched it the first probably 15 times or with commercials before I actually saw the real edition that had everything in it. And so it's funny because whenever I watch it now, I always remember, oh, they're supposed to have a commercial here for like paper towels. <laughs> so it was just, you know, it was, well, those things getting grayed, right? Did you did you go out? Uh, and this probably was probably when we were in high school and get when they finally released the trilogy on DVD. Yeah, I got the trilogy on DVD. Also bought the Blu-ray when they released that special anniversary edition back in. That was like 2010, right? They they did one. They did one in like 2015. They had another special edition, okay. you know, obviously celebrating because Back to the Future Part Two. So, right. yeah, it's. Uh, I have several copies of this, digital copies, everything. You know, I'm never without the opportunity to watch this film. I have all the means necessary. <laughs> So do you you travel with a copy of that on your person at all times in case you're at a stoplight? Was that a rhetorical question? (laughs) I just want to make sure that we are all, the audience uh, and me, are all on the same page with you. Yeah, that's, uh, it's a film that I've just loved and introduced me to Michael J. Fox, which as we we all know, Teen Wolf, one of my favorite films. So I ended up watching that as a result, and which just furthered it. Um, I mean, he's just been great. The Secret of My Success, another great Michael yep. J. Fox film. So I just loved his his career. I loved his charisma. And, you know, I think on the set of Doc Hollywood is when he got the first um, sense that something wasn't right. I think I read that his, like, pinky on his left hand, he couldn't stop it from, like, shaking. And then it took about a year later, he got diagnosed with Parkinson's. And so his career is unfortunately, is re- he's retired now. His career got kind of cut short as an actor. But the work that he did while he was acting is just will live on forever. It's timeless stuff that every generation will go back to and be able to watch and enjoy. One of the cool things about Back to the Future specifically is not just his comedic timing, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. but it's somehow very clearly an 80s movie because there's everything about it is 80s yep. or 50s. It's very consciously a time capsule film, but doesn't feel dated with from the from a story perspective not at all and and that that's a really difficult uh that's a really difficult needle to thread 
because they don't, it's not full of pop culture references. You know, yeah, there's the tab line and the, can I have a Pepsi free? Mm -hmm. But other than that, like, it's just a closed music issue. It's not like the language pulls you out of it and goes, I can't, I can't show this to like my nephews who are seven and 12 and they're starting to call me and ask me about like movies they should see. And I've absolutely told them because I got them to go through the Rockies. So they love the Rockies. Nice. Yeah. And so uh, my mom called me. They're like, hey, they, they want a new like franchise. And I was like. I'm flipping a coin between Indiana Jones and Back to the Future. I'm like, start them with Back to the Future. Go from yeah. Back to the Future up to Indiana Jones. And I know that they're going to be able to connect with the material because it's it's absolutely timeless. The themes of the film are timeless. You can set that at any generation because at the core, when Bob Gale came up with the idea, he went back home after uh, him and Robert Zemeckis had made used cars. He went back home, visited his parents, and found his father's old yearbook and discovered some things about his father that he didn't know. And he wondered to himself, huh, would I have been friends with my dad in high school if we were, like, going through high school together? And it's just, I mean, it's that's cra- an interesting thing to think about. It, it's a very interesting thing to think about. And it's crazy how that is the genesis for this whole story and everything that happens. I really don't know if Bob Gale at that point was like, and what if my mom wanted to fucking make out with me in the car? <laughs> what would that be? Like? I don't I don't know where that came. Maybe Zemeckis added that in. Zemeckis added that <laughs> yeah, shit in. Yeah, he probably did. I want to go over some stats about uh, Back to the Future here. So, obviously, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis. They wrote Used Cars together. Used Cars is a Kurt Russell classic film that made no money, but I think it's a cult classic at this point. It is. It's really, really good. And, you know, I think we got to give Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis credit for being the original Damon and Affleck, I think. I mean, this is really... (laughs) Where those guys uh, got their inspiration? Yeah, definitely. I think I think you're absolutely right. That's uh, I think I've heard them say that in interviews <laughs> as well. So, <laughs> it was right between recess and lunch. And lunch. <laughs> so the music that's, that, that's for us guys. Sorry, some of these jokes are going to be for us. <laughs> yeah, wait, they can't all be for them. All right. <laughs> the music in this film, which the score, in my opinion, is just perfection. Uh, Alan Silvestri. Um, funny story about that actually is obviously I've seen Back to the Future countless times. I've also seen Predator numerous times. And this was like a couple years back and maybe I'm just slow or something. I was watching Predator. It was on in the background and I'm sitting there just like doing something, doing some work. So I'm not watching the film, but it's on. I can hear it. And I'm like, God damn, this sounds like Back to the Future. Like this score sounds so similar. Just the way the symbols and the horns and everything is used. I look it up. Same guy, Alan Silvestri did did both. Very yeah. some very similar themes there. So I thought that's interesting. Anyway, well, I also enjoyed the fact that, uh, and you know, I know you're getting there, but I'm going to jump the gun here and say Spielberg produced this with yep. Amblin Entertainment. Yep. And there's a lot of there's a lot in this film that is very clearly Spielberg influenced. Mm-hmm. So he didn't want Alan Silvestri to actually compose the music for this film because he wasn't impressed with Silvestri's Romancing the Stone. Oh, really? Score? Yeah, which is really the whole reason that this movie got made. Exactly. Zemeckis made that, and on the strength of that, because they had written this script, and it was rejected like 40 times, Bob. Yeah, for Every major studio. It was in turnaround, and then they had to get the rights to it by trading the rights for, I believe, it was like double indemnity. They traded those rights from Universal so they could get the rights for Back to the Future. I mean, there's a whole story, and there's a whole podcast in and of itself in terms of the genesis of this film. In the end, we end up with a cast made up of Michael J. Fox playing Marty McFly, 
Christopher Lloyd as the perfect Dr. Emmett Brown, Leah Thompson, Lorraine Baines, Crispin Glover, George McFly, and Thomas F. Wilson as Biff Tannen. Uh, Jennifer Parker in the first Back to the Future is played by Claudia Wells, who was replaced by Elizabeth Shue in Back to the Future Part 2 and 3 because Claudia Wells, I mean, decided to give up her career to go take care of her mom, which is pretty admirable, honestly. It's admirable, and it's a sad story. Her mom got breast cancer, and it's it's really you know heartbreaking for her to have made the right choice but a really difficult one and uh and she was a great jennifer like that was an interesting character and and if i had if i have one knock on the film is that there wasn't enough of that character they didn't allow her to explore that character much now granted she's not there for most of the movie because we're in 1955 right but i that's my only thing from a script standpoint and this is a great script Mm -hmm. i mean this is taught i think at usc film school as like the perfect script like study this script for screenwriting study that study casablanca they're all they're right up there (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) um but i would have liked to have seen a little bit more out of the jennifer role but that's a very minor nitpick yeah and the funny story about that is um at the end of back to the future part one since it took so long for them to make this film and it was rejected they had no delusions of grandeur that they were going to make a sequel or anything so that last scene where they have Doc come in from the future with the DeLorean and he says, well, bring Jennifer along. This concerns her, too. And then they go off and it's like credits. Well, Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis were like, if we knew we were making a sequel, we never would have put her in the fucking car. I know. That's why they he, knock her out in the second one, right? Exactly. That's why she's like non-existent <laughs> because it's like we don't have a plan for her, right? By the way, and I will say, I know I'm jumping ahead a little, quite a bit here to a movie that we'll cover later on, but Back to the Future Part 2, when they show Elizabeth Shue in 2015, aged with the makeup and everything, we've seen Elizabeth Shue in 2015. They are not doing her justice. No, no. She aged far better <laughs> than what they thought she would, which is not, uh, I mean, still stunning, still perfect. Oh, yeah. The always the always wonderful Elizabeth Shue. Exactly. So this film had like different titles that people wanted it to have. It had, we'll get to the whole refrigerator thing uh, that happened. We'll get to that later on, which is crazy. And there's a Just reason insane. It, it, it wouldn't have worked in this film and it didn't work in the film that it ended up in. Did they, I, lo- I love the idea, though, that they, they had this idea in 1984, 83 or whenever they came up with it. It was probably earlier. And they were like, we're holding on to that. That's yeah, gonna work. That's the gold one. <laughs> we're gonna do. We're gonna do the refrigerator and the nuclear bomb test site one yeah. of these days. Fucking ridiculous. One of the executives wanted it to be called Spaceman from Pluto, uh, which they said no. But he had some good changes, like you know he wanted uh, Lorraine to be the name of, of the mom instead of Meg, and instead of Professor Brown, Doc Brown. Which I think these are very good changes, honestly, because I can't imagine no, they are home with different names uh, attached and. I mean, Spaceman from Pluto is a horrible title for a movie. Um, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. It's Back awful. to the Future is way better. That would have been a really great name for one of the you know adult films that appear in Back to the Future. Like, yeah. Can I ask you, just as an aside, uh-huh. they have the adult theater. Orgy American style, that's right. Yeah, Orgy American style. But they also have an adult bookstore yeah. in the town square. Like, what is with all of the adult bookstore theater? Like... Is Hill Valley, did it just become like the porn capital of the world? Hill Valley went a little downhill. I mean, Red Thomas <laughs> is the mayor in 1955, and then he's the drunk on the bench at the end that Marty, like, runs over. You know what I mean? He jumps over him to to head over yeah, to Yeah, I the get wall. that. But a mayor falling on hard times doesn't mean, like, 
Now we got porn shops it's everywhere. A microcosm for the city itself. <laughs> and by the way, I'm not saying that the city has gone downhill because there are porn <laughs> shops. I just thought that it was an interesting choice. Yeah, well, they're coming off used cars, man, which they basically proved <laughs> that if you wanted to make TNA films back then, they were the guys that you should have gone to because... Well, and I, I know that this was a problem, uh, speaking of that, that that was a main problem of getting this script made back in the 80s was it was a teen comedy that wasn't in the vein of Porky's. And yeah, it wasn't studios enough did, sex. Yeah, they, they didn't, it wasn't nearly raunchy enough for them to want to make it, and that was one of the major obstacles that they had getting this script greenlit. Oh, yeah, totally, because... They wanted more raunchiness, and so that's probably where in one of those edits, Orgy American Style in the adult bookstore came in. And then Disney's like, it's not family-friendly enough for us, so we're going to pass. So, Well, I, lo- I love that they passed because of the incest. Yeah. That was yeah. the... Mm-hmm. Which, I get it. I, like, that's fine. Uh, we'll talk about the incest a little bit more. Uh, and we're definitely talking about the Biff character more and how if Biff did what he did... Definitely wouldn't have him waxing my car at the end. So no, we're that gonna, is, we're going to address a, that later on. That's a quick forgive and forget situation. I, I don't know. Maybe his buddy William Zane uh, played a little. <laughs> you mean uh, you mean match? He, he sort of. Yeah. I mean, Biff's he was like crew has the names three dudes. One who always wears 3D glasses. His name 3D. Very clever right. there. Uh, match played by Billy Zane, and then the third member, Skinhead. Not great. Not great. Skinhead originally cast, actually, in the Biff role, but that was when they had Eric Stoltz, who was a taller actor, cast in the Marty McFly role because they wanted Michael J. Fox for the role. I believe, from what I read, they saw him from Family Ties, and also they, when they were scouting locations for um, Back to the Future, they saw Michael J. Fox filming Teen Wolf. And yep. they were like, this guy's like, he's perfect. He's the embodiment of what we want for this character. Michael J. Fox has said on the record, he's like, when I was in high school, I loved skateboarding, chasing girls, and being in a rock band. So I could really identify with the Marty character. Couldn't get out of his family ties, couldn't get enough time. They actually, when they offered it to him, he didn't even know it the first time because it was either his agent or someone on family ties was like, we're not even going to show this to him because we don't even want him to know because there's no chance that we're giving him up because, I mean, he's motherfucking Alex P. Keaton. We can't be giving, right. giving that up. So basically, they cast Eric Stoltz. They filmed for four weeks. Some cast members have said that they basically shot like 90% of the film with Eric Stoltz. So you know in some universal vault that film lives on there. And we've only seen bits and pieces like scenes here and there have been released. Well, and with with the whole Stoltz thing, I one of the things I think is really fucking funny about that is they they want Michael J. Fox. And I don't know in what world they would be like, okay, we can't get Michael J. Fox, but we still want somebody in that vein, Eric Stoltz from Mask. That's what I don't understand either, because even Robert Zemeckis said it was, we really liked what he did in, in Mask. It's like, well, that was a heavy drama role. It's like a heavy that drama. The character of Rocky is a really heavy drama drama character there. So I don't know how you thought that would translate. But basically, when they filmed for those four weeks, Stoltz had no comedic timing and no comedic presence. And he was just taking this so seriously. Like It was almost like, Doc, you don't understand. I have to get back. <laughs> To the future. Can, can we take can we take a real quick aside? I think we need a I think we need a little segment here. We don't do a lot of segments, but this right. is probably like glossary with uh, with Jed and Cole. Uh, we have a, we have kind of a running gag where we make fun of actors who are stoltzing it. Yeah, and 
Stoltzing it basically means being way too method to the point where it's not uh, a good performance, but it's a really, really fucking terrible performance. Really bad. And you can full Stoltz, you can half Stoltz, <laughs> and you can semi-Stoltz. And that all stems from, if you go on YouTube and just search Eric Stoltz Back to the Future, and a couple of these scenes uh, have been leaked online, and you watch it, and you compare that to what you know the film was supposed to be and what the film eventually was, and you're just like, oh, shit, Eric, you didn't have a chance. <laughs> like, you just, you just, what do you, you think you're in The Godfather, man. You're in a movie called Back to the Future that was almost called Spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> you need to have some respect for for where you're at. Well, what's so funny is uh, Thomas F. Wilson, the, the man who played Oh, uh, I Cannon, love Tom Wilson, dude. So I love Tom Wilson. He's been interviewed about, about this, and he's talked about it, and... He's like, look, so here's the thing, guys. Eric Stoltz was on set, but he insisted on being called Marty the entire fucking time because he's method and he's into the character. But as Thomas F. Wilson says, but he wasn't really Marty when he was trying to fuck Leah Thompson the entire time. <laughs> what I, and I've heard that interview. And again, that's a just search it on YouTube. Tom Wilson interview about Eric Stoltz. It'll pop up. But. Like Eric Stoltz, apparently Leah Thompson really liked Eric Stoltz. They had done really a film Crispin before, Glover. And yeah, they, they they had acted before. Yeah. That's one of the reasons she got cast mm-hmm. uh, for for that relationship. And another thing I love about Tom Wilson, he was, he was like he was so method. So it wasn't just the Marty bullshit, but it was like we were doing the scene in the uh, you know in the cafeteria where Marty pushes Biff. And Tom's like, you know, this is one of my first roles and I'm really excited and, you know, I'm, I'm on this major picture, Robert Zemeckis, all this stuff. And, like, we're doing take after take of this thing. And he's, like, like really pushing me. And I'm a big guy. And, you know, Eric Stoltz is, like, six foot. And, yep. You know, after, like, the fourth or fifth take, like, it's starting to hurt because he's, like, really pushing me. And I walk up to him like, hey, man, like, maybe just act like you're pushing <laughs> me really hard and I will, in return act like you have pushed me really hard and we'll we'll do it that way and he still just like went up on him and wilson was like oh so i remembered we're getting ready to do a scene out in the parking lot where i punch you in the stomach (laughs) and guess what marty uh i'm gonna hit you real fucking hard and apparently he got like Stoltz got fired like one or two days before they were going to film that. Yeah. And Wilson's like, ah, I never got the chance. Never, never got the chance. It's actually funny too, because the the rumor is, and Tom Wilson is the one who's actually said this on the record, that I don't know why I keep saying on the record, by the way, I don't think they've ever testified for any of this. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there was a lawsuit with Crispin Glover, but nothing with Tom. Yeah, Wilson. exactly. But so they do, he discusses the fact that the scene in the diner, when Biff gets punched by Marty, that he doesn't think they ever refilmed that with Michael J. Fox, so he thinks that's really Eric Stoltz's hand in the movie punching him. So you do, you do get a little bit of the Stoltz in there. Yeah, back of Stoltz's head. Yep. The full, the full Stoltz right cross, and then the rest of it is Michael J. Fox. So after they fire Stoltz, they go back to uh, Michael J. Fox, who wants to be in the film, loves it, and what they work out with the Family Ties crew is that okay. Monday through Friday, Michael J. Fox from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. He's filming Family Ties. He's rehearsing. Basically, from after that, he would go and film Back to the Future until about 2.30 in the morning, get five hours of sleep per night. This is why so much of the film takes place at night because that's the only time they had to film. The only time they had to film daylight shots was on the weekend when he was free. So this is really like a labor of love. 
took so much effort. It's it's insane. Well, and from and from the end of principal photography to release in theaters was only like nine weeks. Mm-hmm. Like they finished filming it, cut it, and released it in nine weeks, which is nuts. And you know, it cost them like nineteen million. I heard it cost them three extra million to reshoot exactly. it. Exactly. Yep. And it made like three seventy. Yeah, it's like almost three ninety. Like in the box office, it seems like it was the right move. Yeah. Totally. Well, I think that's enough backstory on the film. Are you ready to like? There's never enough backstory. There's never <laughs> enough backstory. Not enough for me, just for the listeners is all I'm saying. The listeners live for the backstory. Are you kidding that's, me? That's true. That's that's a good point. But let's get into the film. So this film opens, in my opinion, in what is one of the best openings that's ever been filmed before. Because you have zero dialogue, but you find out so much information in the first two and a half, three minutes. The whole movie is before Marty opens the door. Yeah, exactly. Because they're going through, you see these clocks ticking... Obviously, time travel, time involved. Well, and and I think a clock may have something to do with how we resolve this movie. That is true. (laughs) The clock tower. Watch out for them clocks now. (laughs) So, you also have a man hanging, which a man, basically, it's Christopher Lloyd, it's Doc, hanging from one of the clocks. You can kind of see that really quick. You have a drunk drinking drinking booze on a clock, which is, you know, red at at the end. And we see that the Brown Mansion has been, like, destroyed. So there's so much exposition with, with no dialogue. We get the, the television comes on and we hear a news report about stolen plutonium. They're saying, no, the plutonium wasn't stolen, but the Libyans are taking credit for stealing it. So we know this is going to come into play. And then all of a sudden, the door opens. In comes Marty. We still haven't seen him. We're just shooting this on the floor at this point. So you just kind of see his feet. He's got the skateboard. He kicks the skateboard across the room. It runs into the can, the the container of plutonium, basically. And so now we know where the plutonium is. So we've we found out so much fucking information already. It's just such a great opening scene. Well, and I think a lot of great movies have that great opening scene that sets out the movie if you're paying attention, is entertaining if you're not. You don't miss anything if you're not watching it because the movie's going to unfold in front of you anyway. Mm-hmm. But it just, it doesn't overexpose itself. Yep. So you've got you've to find it if you want it, but it doesn't say, it's not like the scrolling type that was so popular forever. And sorry, Star Wars fans, but th- those sorts of things where it's just like, Read this and then get, jump on board with me. Yeah, it, it's. I agree with you. It's very, very well done. Although I do need to take some time to say that. I mean, Marty's a dick. What? Like, so he comes. Just, just follow me here. Just, just give me a sec. <laughs> so he he comes in the house. That's fine. Him and Doc are really friends. That's great. Mm-hmm. And he goes in and he turns on the amp. Yep. Turns every dial up to the max. Yep. Turns his guitar up to the max. Mm-hmm. What does he think was going to happen? Well, here's the thing. I don't think this is the first time Marty has done that. I believe that their friendship is is formed by... I know we, we don't know. Maybe there's... I think there's some comics that come along where they kind of show you how they met. I, I haven't read those. I just know... The canon that I know is is the films. But to me, this is kind of how they probably connected. I don't know if Doc came to see a show. They connected over... They connected over Marty playing the guitar. Yeah. That's what that, I'm going to go your, with. That's your play? That's your what play I'm going is, with. I believe Bob Dale has even is, said something like that. <laughs> your play is Doc Brown, 50-something-year-old Doc Brown, uh-huh, uh-huh. was going to a club where Marty was playing guitar. The Pinheads. Even though, Marty in, even though Marty says in the movie, 
we're never going to get out there. We can't even get a gig or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, he does say that. But you think that like this old dude with crazy fucking white hair walked up to Marty McFly at a club and was like, you guys fucking can jam. Maybe you and I could hang out. That's what you think happened. I'm not saying it in those words. But what <laughs> yeah, I'm saying you are. Is, is that Marty gets to use the hi-fi equipment. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm not... <laughs> That's not what you were saying, but that's fine. That's all I'm saying. He gets to use the hi-fi okay. equipment. All right. How they I'm not saying he friends. doesn't get to Maybe use it. Doc said, hey, man, I have some hi-fi equipment. <laughs> you want to come by? I live in a mansion, or I live in a fucking unit that's near a Burger King. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> For- I hope. Uh, wow. <laughs> That's a hell of a theory you got there. That's a really good origin story for these two crazy kids. Here, here's here's the thing. I, I don't know, and I'm sure a listener, and I'm sure Bob Gale, if he ever comes on the show, we can ask him, how did they meet? If. How did this all happen? I, I do want to take a moment, though, to talk about the fact that, obviously, time travel is heavily involved in this film, but Cole and I are not going to get bogged down in the minutia of the time travel. Is it alternate timelines? Is it a closed loop? To me, it's a closed-loop timeline. That's how they're going for. This is not uh, what other films have done with, with time travel. But we don't want to get bogged down in that. We don't get, want to get bogged down in the, the right. time paradoxes or anything like that. Just assume the time travel works. They can do it, and shit works out. Well, and, and the, the th- I totally buy that for these movies, and I, it's one of the reasons I enjoy them. And when I first watched them, I wasn't getting bogged down in any of that. When I got older and I rewatched it, this is the only thing I'll say about mm-hmm. it, was... I you do start to question like they get to the they get to the end of the first one where he comes back and he sees Doc get shot yep. and the car go and, and he sees himself and he goes back to 1955 and it's very quickly to you know you're 14 or 15 you go so they're just going to keep doing this in an endless circle so Marty goes back to 55 circle it around well here's and they're the just going to keep doing this here's, here's the question for you. If what we're and and this is the only thing I'm going to say about this, and we're not going to get off right. on a tangent here. No, 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 of course. If if the, what we're watching is the prime one, is the first time this happened, then when Marty go when Marty goes back and then he sees his self from before go back, well, Marty's already changed the future by altering things in the past, and this is a closed loop. So that Marty that goes back is not the same Marty that went back in the original one because he's grown up and lived the life with parents that are just a little bit different, a little more successful. <laughs> and it looks that way. It Good point. goes back there and there's already another Marty there. So he can't change anything. Yeah. So that second Marty that goes back, I think has fucks to off. live out his fucking life in 1955 <laughs> and fuck, eventually dies. He fucks off in 1955. That's it. He hooks up with Lorraine. I get it. It's cool. Okay. <laughs> So there's there's all these little possibilities and, and stuff. I agree. I don't want to get I don't want to get lost in the weeds with that. It's yeah. just it's one of those things that you started to notice, maybe not as a kid, but you're just like exactly. oh, interesting. But anyway, I agree. Let's not let's not go any farther. So there. Marty connects to the stereo equipment because Doc is a really nice dude that he met that lets him connect to uh-huh, the stereo equipment and practice his guitar. I'm just saying he, him going in and breaking it was a kind of a dick move. So That's all. it fucking explodes. He connects to the amp, overloads, blah blah blah. And blows him back like 20 feet, which he says, I mean, fucking rock and roll, right? And (laughs) right after that, the phone rings. It's Doc. Doc is like, hey, man, you might not want to connect to that stereo equipment because there's a chance of overload. Marty's like, yeah, I'll keep that in mind. Especially if you're an asshole and you turn all the the tuners up to like 150, but we're good. We're going to 
you know, go right past that. I believe Doc gave him permission. <laughs> anyway, so the whole point of the conversation is that Doc is like, get the video camera, meet me at Twin Pines Mall at 1.15 a.m. Again, not creepy at all with their relationship. We're just going to gloss right nope. over that. Of course. But the other thing, too, is... How many, how many times are you going to say we're going to gloss right over that? We're glossing right over that in the beginning, okay? We're just, <laughs> fuck it, all right? <laughs> it's totally above board, goddammit. It really is. The guy lives behind a fence in the parking lot of a Burger King. It's fine. It's all good. Hey, there's a Toys R Us right nearby. We know where he gets his people from. <laughs> and I know because that's a Toys R Us I used to go to as a kid because it's a great shot of Burbank right there. I mean, that's exactly where that whole area is. Sweet flex, bro. There you go. I'm just saying. So <laughs> the clocks in the house are 25 minutes slow. I really don't know what experiment Doc was running, but the whole point of that is we get Marty late for school and we got to get some fucking Huey Lewis power of love going. Dude, Huey Lewis is so perfect in this movie. He is. Not just the actor. I'm just saying Huey Lewis's songs. it's, oh, there's never a time that those songs come on that I'm not like listening to the whole one. I'm not, I will never turn off. A Huey Lewis. He's song. even got the sports poster in his room. You yep. know, you can see that uh, that shot at the at the end there. So Marty needs to get to school. Can't be late. We get an idea of what Hill Valley is now because now we we see Hill Valley for the first time. We've got Goldie Wilson as mayor. The idea is that Marty can't get four tardies in a row. He gets to school, and Jennifer's like, "Hey, Strickland's on the warpath, so you gotta come with me." Blah blah blah. Obviously, we know Strickland's going to catch him. Strickland catches them. Jennifer gets a tardy. Marty gets a tardy. That's four. And Strickland's like, are you still hanging out with Dr. Emmett Brown? He's bad for you. All this shit. Your dad was a slacker when he was here. This is where John Voight got a lot of the Kilmer stuff from. You know, Marty, your dad <laughs> was a no-talent pussy. <laughs> well, uh, between, between this and uh, Top Gun... Yep. Strickland got really typecast. He really did. He really did. Not a lot you can do there. Not a lot you can do. He made the most of it. So Marty's band after school is trying out for the Battle of the Bands that they have uh, at the school. Can I stop you right there with the Battle of the Bands? I have a question. As as somebody who watched a lot of 80s movies and 80s TV and early 90s TV, I was really under the impression that Battles of the Bands were going to be a much bigger part of my life. You, th- you thought so, did you? Like, like that would that seemed to be a big plot device. Like, mm-hmm. gotta get to the battle of the bands. I got guys. We gotta play. It's a battle of the bands. Yeah. Uh, and I've never seen one in real life. Yeah, I don't think I have either. I just it's it's one of those things. I thought I was gonna have to deal with a lot more. Now you didn't play an instrument or anything, did you? No, I'm musically inept. That's not the fucking point. I'm just saying. You thought you would be going to a lot of battle of the bands. I thought that I would see, like, hey, come to the Battle of Bands, but that shit never happened in my life. Well, it happens in it happens in this world, and so Marty- yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not <laughs> doubting that using the device. Every, every time I make a comment, I'm not making fun of your movie, man. No, no, no I'm no, just I know saying that. I know that because there's nothing to make fun of. They're just good friends. <laughs> oh Christ! <laughs> so Marty's band is trying out for the Battle of Bands. His band's the Pinheads, and. It's a great Huey Lewis cameo there as, as one of the judges who says, Absolutely. you're just too darn loud, guys. You're just you're just too darn loud. But what this shows us is that Marty can play guitar. And, you know, Jennifer is trying to get Marty to send his tape into the record company. Because I guess in 1985, it was that fucking simple. You just, hey, here's my cassette. <laughs> I'm going to get a record deal now. He may want to stop doing that really shitty solo at the end of every song. <laughs> that may help him get... 
a uh, a record contract. That's a good point. That's I'll give you that mm-hmm. one. <laughs> Which, by the way, I I honestly think I I wanted to see that in the sequel of like Marty became a musician or something because when the crowd looked at him at the end of the movie, like, what are you doing with that solo? That maybe that was him clicking like, oh, maybe I should stop doing that stupid shit. Well, I don't know. I mean, the kids are gonna love it, right? So his generation, that's that's what works for them. Also possible. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm looking for some growth. What we, uh, well, he does show growth in, in Back to the Future Part Three, which we'll get to one day. Oh, I I was watching it right before we recorded. <laughs> That's my I have I have a very Indiana Jones relationship with this franchise. I the first one is by far the best film, mm-hmm. but the third one to me is the most fun for me. Like part of it is I love westerns. I love the yeah. Old West. That's what I figured. You love the west stuff. I do, and so like two, I love two. I like a lot. I, it's a classic yeah. film, but. I rate them one the best, three the most fun, two, like, I'll watch it third. And I do the same thing with Indiana Jones, where Raiders is clearly the best achievement in film. The most fun is by far uh, Last Crusade, and then you get what you get with uh, Temple of Doom. Well, Back to the Future Part 2, much like Temple of Doom, dark films. Yeah, they are dark films. You know, they take a a hard turn from the first ones. Yeah, there's not a a lot of laughs in Back to the Future 2. No, I mean, and... We can get in later on to how it was predicting things, and it really didn't want to, but it, it kind of right, yeah. did. Uh, although I'm still waiting for my hoverboard, man. That was what always makes two stand out for me as like one of my favorites. Is that I needed the hoverboard, and I needed the dr- uh, stay dry jacket, and oh, I needed yeah. the, the electronic Nikes. Those it's all I'm asking for. Power laces, which I think they have. If you have like ten thousand dollars, you can get a custom pair or something like that. <laughs> Good note. I'll, I'll think about that. Um, but we learn that Marty can't face rejection, and this is not something that's just him. His his dad is is similar to that too, right? And we'll learn that later on. Um, we we see we get back to Marty's house, and he has this whole thing planned where him and Jennifer are going to go to the lake that weekend. But he sees that the car is wrecked, and I mean, actually, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here because before that. We learn that 30 years ago, the lightning struck the clock tower. Marty gets a flyer, which Jennifer puts her number on because she's staying at her grandma's, which they need to have a reason for Marty to have the flyer. So that's why he has it. And the flyer has all the information about the lightning strike. And bold move on Marty to kiss Jennifer again in front of her dad. Fuck him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do love, do you love the way that the dad pulls up like a bat out of hell? Jennifer! (laughs) Just as like... (laughs) What is going on here? Like, well, like, like Jennifer, you're 17. Stop making out with your boyfriend and get the fuck over here. I mean, I can see Dad saying that. I, I can't even I fathom guess. kissing a girl in high school in front of her father. Well, I mean, that's Marty's bold man. He rides a skateboard while hanging on to the back of fucking cars. I mean, that's that's what he does. <laughs> this is who he is. This is who he that's, is. You're right. That's a bold man. He's not. That's he doesn't man. turn it up to six, Cole. He turns it up to ten. <laughs> and if there was an eleven, we know he'd be at eleven. <laughs> you're right i just you know what he's a bigger man than me <laughs> so marty gets back home he lives at lion estates we see that we see the entrance like what i love about this film is that every little detail that you see is there for a reason you're yes. gonna see it again it's gonna come back um we see that the car is wrecked the car is wrecked by biff who happens to be his dad's supervisor and i mean I just love fucking this. Tom Wilson, man. I, he's so he's so good when he's talking about how he got into the accident. I can't believe you loaned me a car without telling me it had a blind spot. Blind spot. I could have been killed. 
Now, now, Biff, now, I never noticed that uh, the car had any blind spot before when I would drive it. Hi, son. But what are you, blind, McFly? It's there. How else do you explain that wreck out there? Now, Biff, um, can I, can I assume that your uh, insurance is going to pay for the damage? Well, my insurance? It's your car. Your insurance should pay for it. I, I want to know who's going to pay for this. I spilled beer all over when that car smashed into me. Who's going to pay my cleaning bill? And uh, where's my reports? Uh, well, I haven't finished those up yet, but, you know, I, I figured since they were due till... Hello? <laughs> Hello? Anybody home? Oh, huh? Think, McFly. Right. Think. I gotta have time yeah. to get them retyped. Yeah. Uh, do you realize what would happen if I handed my reports in your handwriting? Yeah. I'll get fired. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? Would you? Oh, of course not, Biff. Now I wouldn't want that to happen. Now look, I'll uh, finish those reports on up tonight and I'll run them on over first thing tomorrow, all right? Hey, not too early. I sleep in Saturday. Oh, McFly, your shoes untied. Oh. <laughs> Don't be so gullible, McFly. Got the place fixed up nice, though, McFly. Yeah, I have your car towed all the way to your house and all you got for me is light beer. <laughs> I love it. It's like the car had a blind spot. I. <laughs> I spilled like I spilled beer all over my coat when that car crashed into me. I don't I want to know, he's drinking I want to know who's, who's who's gonna, who's going to pay for my cleaning. Yeah. You know, I spilled beer all over my jacket. Now I do want to uh, apologize um, for something in the film, Cole. When Biff goes to the fridge and he says, "I had my car, I had your car towed all the way to your house, and all you got for me is light beer." He's talking about Mills Light, okay? He's got, yeah. <laughs> no, I I noticed that, and uh, I do require. Few, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a overbearing friend, or I hope I'm not an overbearing friend. Yeah. Um, but I do require you to have Mills Light ready for me uh, if I get up to LA to visit. Exactly. Like that's just, you know, I got I got Pepsi Max for you when you come over. Mm-hmm. That's true. I just need I just need a sweet Mills, you know, when I when I drop by Jed's at seven thirty in the morning. It's, it's that's how you do it, you know, one right <laughs> after the other. I did notice though that. Uh, Miller had a lot. Uh, Miller and Pepsi had a lot to do with the uh, product placement in this film. Yeah, no shit, no shit. <laughs> they definitely got some money there. They and I love that they both did like the full throat of their products. There was Pepsi. There was Pepsi Free. There was Miller Light. There was MGD. There was High Life. I champagne. think. I think there was High the Life grand, going the on. Yeah, was it was like High Life. <laughs> it's yeah. awesome. So we we meet Biff and we meet Marty's dad George and we see that a, the dynamic there. And, I mean, wouldn't you say Biff is just the classic bully? Just fits it to a T. Yes. He's so perfect. And what they did, what they do with Biff's character, he's he's my favorite character in every single one of them. He's movies. so great. I, because I, I think, and again, I'm so glad we're not doing this next to each other <laughs> uh, because you'd fucking hit me. But Tom Wilson's the best actor and the best performances in all three of the movies. He has the most to do. He has the hardest role to pull off where you still like him. Like the whole point is you, you still, I don't want to say root for Biff cause you want him to fall down. But like when you get to the end of this movie and he's a fucking loser, who's uh, you know, he's become George McFly from the beginning of the movie. Sure. You're like, you're like, ah, oh, Biff. And you know what he's done, but that goes to Tom Wilson's likability as an actor, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I'll respectfully disagree on, on that. I mean, I, I, believe Michael J. Fox is the best actor and I believe what he has to do with his role here because he has to get you to root for him right away and he has to have that balance of 
comedy and seriousness and have that perfect tone throughout where Biff is, other than that last scene, is pretty one note in terms of what he's doing. Now, he does it very, very, very well because uh, Thomas F. Wilson is just a great actor. But that, that's where I kind of I kind of disagree on that. But I also think Crispin Glover is quite a unique fucking choice. Yes. Quite a unique interpretation of, of the George McFly character, wouldn't you say? Oh, God, yeah. No, and, and this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is this is such a perfectly cast film. Yeah. Everybody got slotted perfectly, and it's really interesting because they seemed to have cast a lot of these people off of Stoltz. <laughs> yep. So Melora Hardin was actually hired as Jennifer. Yeah. Uh, when it was Stoltz as Marty, but once uh, Michael J. Fox got recast, now Melora Hardin's too tall. We don't do that now. Claudia Wells comes back in. Yep. And there's just, and while I don't know that Melora Hardin would have been bad, I've always liked her and everything she's been mm-hmm. in. But I mean, everybody, no matter how small or how big the part was, was just so perfectly set. Like having Crispin Glover. As George McFly and making George McFly super weird, but like you still root for him. He's not so weird that you're like, I wouldn't go near that guy. Yeah, he's not a complete spaz or anything no. where you're like, this guy, there's something off about him. It's he's Basically, he's not Crispin Glover. Exactly. That's a very good point. Crispin Glover got himself fired from the next two because of contract disputes. And he's gone on record and said that his whole character arc in Back to the Future and the fact that because he kind of punches out Biff at the end is what gives his character redeeming qualities and what also allows him to be successful in the future in his future life in terms of now that I did something violent and showed like force over someone I was able to become more successful than I was when I didn't just to him sent a bad message and to that I'm saying you know what Crispin I see your point you're fucking reading into this way too goddamn much. It's a fucking movie, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll say this though. I've read a I read a couple of things because this is kind of an interesting story that kind of nobody knows the uh, nobody knows what really happened except the people that were involved. But you know, Bob Gale tells the story uh, about well, he came in asking for twice what everybody else was getting, and we weren't going to do that. And you know, Glover did an interview. A handful of years ago that was like that did not happen. I know I, I saw that interview uh, yep. I did not do that I did say that you know I do have a moral a bit of a moral issue where people getting money in this in this movie is basically what's making them worthwhile and things like that which you can have those complaints I've also heard that outside Leah Thompson like most of the cast really didn't like him mm-hmm. but I did think it was a bunch of bullshit what they did in two which was get an actor yep and then put prosthetics on him to make him look like Crispin Glover. Yep. And do it that way, which is why Crispin Glover won his lawsuit. So, And the thing about it is I think if – obviously they didn't have a sequel plan, but I think before Crispin Glover, before he got fired, they had an idea to involve the George character a lot more because as we're both oh, saying, of course. he was great in this film. And his he was great. He was great. Like he's very, very good. And when we see him, we kind of then we then see Marty's family. So he has uh, a sister, Linda, and he has a brother, Dave, and his mom, Lorraine, who is quite clearly a drunk because in the two-minute scene that we see her, she goes back to that vodka a couple times. 
we see that, you know, his Uncle Joey did not get paroled. So we, we kind of see that, which we're going to come back in a little later. One thing I do want to point out is there is a quick scene where he's pouring the peanut brittle into the bowl. And he offers Marty yep. some. Marty doesn't want any. There was a deleted scene where the neighbors come by. He's selling peanut brittle for his daughter. And he's basically like, I put you down for a case, McFly. And he knows that George has no backbone, so he's not going to say no. And so he's like, see, honey, I told you we could sell the whole fucking thing at one house. Uh, I don't think it's says fucking, <laughs> but other than that, it's pretty much how that scene goes. Uh, I see why they cut it, but it also adds more to the character. So we see that George is just, he's spineless. He can, anyone can do anything they kind of want to him. You kind of don't even understand how, how George and Lorraine are together, but that's where we find out. Because at this dinner, we find out that Lorraine's dad hit George with the car. They thought George was bird watching. He didn't say what he was doing at the time, which we'll find out very soon. <laughs> and she takes care of him. And it's kind of, as Doc says, the Florence Nightingale syndrome. She falls in love with him. You know, she's like a little lost puppy, as she says. They go to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. They kiss. They fall in love. They live happily ever after. So these two people don't seem like they would go together. And honestly, the way the family is shown... George is distracted the entire time. He's looking off the TV. Lorraine is talking. He's not paying attention. The kids have heard these stories a thousand times. This family doesn't seem very close. The dynamics there no, are not are no. not great. I mean, it's they're not in a good in a good place. I think it's really well done how they show that because it's subtle, but when you kind of when you watch the movie more and more, you pick up on all these things and then in the end it's a really nice payoff. Yeah, it is. And I think one of the things that they did without going over the top was portray George as a, a, a hyper weak character, portray Lorraine as a very unhappy character, portray the siblings, Dave and Linda as totally lost, uh, you know, absolutely no sort of direction in what they're doing. That way we don't need to have that. We don't need to be in 1985 very long mm -hmm. to establish that. Yeah. And that way, when we come back to 1985 at the end, you can recognize the monster changes that, that have happened without, again, having to spend forever uh, getting to know the characters. And that's one of the things that I totally agree with you, by the way, but that's one of the things that makes this film, to me, one of these timeless classics that you can always go back to. Robert Zemeckis, to me, is one of the best directors that's ever lived, and his films will always stand the test of time, and his direction in them is so perfect. His shot selection, everything. I've said this before, the camera is a character in his films, and his movements, everything is so purposeful, and it's it's beautifully done. And this movie is no exception to that. It's a very well, well-directed film. And you think it's going to be just like a, a teen kind of comedy, sci-fi film, but it, it's so much more than that and has a lot of heart to it. And it scenes like this that are handled so well that really give it that and round it out in the shape. Yeah, a lesser movie accomplishes what they accomplish in that one scene at dinner over like three scenes. You'd see George at work. You'd see uh, Lorraine out in town buying a bottle of liquor. Mm -hmm. You'd see Dave at work. Like you, that's what they would do. And it would eat up another eight minutes of the movie that you really didn't need. Just get it done. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Because really what this what, what it does is it's about getting to 1955 as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. Because once once Marty, you know, the, the car's broke, whatever, he falls asleep, and he's got to get to the parking lot. 
once they start talking about the time machine, you get like, oh, we're going somewhere. We need to get to that yeah. place. Like, we don't know where we're going yet, but we need to get to that place. And the urgency is there in the filmmaking without rushing it to get to that place, which is really well done. I do have a question about Marty's sleeping style, though. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Is there a reason he sleeps with his hand in, in his ass? <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? Again, that's another one we're just going to brush right past. We're just not going <laughs> to... Sleeps with his clothes on. I just on. say... As an actor, interesting choice. I will say, though, that judging by the fact that he wakes up and has, like, a, a chocolate right away or a caramel or whatever he had near his near his bed, I mean, I don't think oral care is really, like, high on his list, and that disappoints me in the character. Like, I expect more from Marty. Uh, he needs to be taking care of them teeth. I'm a little more concerned about the fact he takes his hand out of his ass to grab the <laughs> chocolate or the caramel. I goes way past oral hygiene, my man. Um so Marty falls asleep and he gets called by Doc because, dude, you're supposed to be at the mall, like, you know, 115, 116, let's let's get out there. So now we're starting, now the plot is starting to pick up. We're going to start really rolling. We've established all the characters. We've met everyone. Now let's, well, actually, we haven't met Doc yet. We just met him on the phone. But now let's go meet him and let's get this shit rolling. Before we get it rolling, I did want to let you know that uh, you're usually responsible for the impressions <laughs> on this show. You're the one who does the accents. You're the one who does the line readings. I get that. <laughs> but I've been working on my Doc Brown impression. And before we get to the real Doc Brown, I just wanted to try it. Out. I can't wait. Tell me what you think. Marty. <laughs> That's it? That's all you got? I love it. That's perfect. <laughs> I can't say anything else, but that is Doc Brown. <laughs> that Full is, stop. You're welcome. That is That is so perfect. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to keep digging when you've struck gold. That's the thing. Yeah, right? no, that took... That took six weeks. Yep. That was uh, intensive vocal therapy. Did you use Bradley Cooper's uh, speech coach on that one? Did he use for Starsborn? I called him. He told me to fuck off. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Um, so I went down to Party City. I found some guy walking around there in a, in a white wig. Oh, and yep. uh, he and I have just been hanging out. So that's kind of where, that's I, that's cool. where I got my inspiration. So that's how you guys formed a friendship. Does he have electronic <laughs> equipment that you yeah, get to use? Yeah, I don't go over to his house and shit. That's not that's not happening. Near I didn't King. give him my real name. He, he does doesn't have my phone number. live behind a Burger King. It's just in a cardboard box. That's... Right. Right. <laughs> so... Marty falls asleep, as we've discussed, wakes up, heads over to Twin Pines Mall, and we see the back of the trailer open, and out comes this DeLorean with the license plate at a time. It's just such a fucking iconic scene, iconic image, and then we get to meet Doc Brown. Marty, you made it! Yeah! Welcome to my latest experiment. This is a big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. Uh, well, it's a DeLorean, right? Bear with what me, Marty. All your questions will be answered. Roll yeah. tape. Okay, I will proceed. Uh, Doc, uh, is that a Devo? Never mind that now. Never mind that right. now. Not now. Not now. All right, I'm ready. Good evening. I'm Dr. Emmett Brown. I'm standing on the parking lot at Twin Pines Mall. It's Saturday morning, October 26, 1985. 1.18 a.m. And this is temporal experiment number one. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. What did I tell you? 88 miles per hour! Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? 
I just I, I just love Christopher Lloyd so much in this film. I mean, yeah, can't say enough about it's him. Another just fucking inspired casting choice. And I'm so glad that he wanted to not do the film. He got talked into doing it. Yep. And thank God. And one of the things that is crazy, because a lot of the a lot of the effects stand up in this movie. There's not a lot that's aged super poorly that yeah. you know makes you sort of second guess what's going on. But did you notice the makeup they had on Christopher Lloyd's neck? You can tell they were not ready for HD back then at all. Nope, nope. That was that was basically like, uh, do we have a flesh colored garbage bag we can just put around his neck? <laughs> exactly. That'd be perfect. Um, we know this isn't going to show up on film, and I bet clarity's never going to get better than it is today. So let's just <laughs> go with what we have. I mean, have you seen VHS? Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. No one's going to want to improve that. <laughs> so what we find out is that Doc Brown has built a time machine. Out of a DeLorean, you know, because if you're going to build a time machine, why not build with a little style? So right. what we're going to do is, as a first experiment, it takes plutonium because you need 1.21 gigawatts uh, to get this reaction. Gigawatts uh, is how they used to pronounce it. I read that today. Oh, yeah. I always thought that that was like some made up shit. Yep. Yep. That's how they And it was like it. back in the day, it used to be gigawatts and it would have been gigawatts in the 50s. Uh, or even in the 80s, apparently. But I guess as they've come out of Neo-Latin, uh, it now has become gigawatts. So I always thought like it was some made-up shit. Like, yeah, we need 1.21 uh, nons or something. <laughs> like, something fucking crazy. Uh, but I, I learned something new today doing my homework for you, man. I appreciate that. I mean, as Marty says, what the hell is a gigawatt? It's <laughs> perfect, right? So... You've been working with my guy. <laughs> I have. That is that is true. My Michael <laughs> J. Fox is spot on. So we see the DeLorean, and it takes plutonium. It takes this huge charge. And so what we're going to do is the first test run is we're going to send Einstein, Doc's dog, who was originally like a chimpanzee, and and you know one of the executives got him to change it to a dog, which I think is much better. Yes, way better route to go. So gets he gets Einstein in there, and he's going to send him. Into the future, one minute. He has the car hooked up to a remote control. He sets the car up. He gets Einstein in there. The watches are synchronized. He tells Marty, start recording. Watch all this. Because when we get to 88 miles an hour, you're going to see some serious shit. And so, gets the car going. Marty! (laughs) Marty! (laughs) I mean, how tempted are you right now to quote Family Guy? I mean, this whole time, I think you've just been like waiting for the Family Guy quote, but I don't think you're going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So he gets the car. It goes up to 88 miles an hour and the car disappears. And Doc is fucking ecstatic. Marty's like, Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. What the fuck? I didn't disintegrate anything, Marty. He's going to be back here in a minute. Just wait. Can you please tell me why when they are trying to get the car to travel through time, they're either driving it at themselves or at a solid object? It was an interesting choice for a test run. <laughs> I totally admit. Like I don't I didn't get that either. I'm like, there's a whole parking lot with nothing in it's it. It's a big parking lot. Nothing in the parking lot. And and if you notice, every time they take off, they're like, Well, I'm gonna drive right at this store. Yep. Yep. Which is why he drives through the fucking store at the end of the movie. You're not thinking fourth dimensionally, Cole, because once you get back into that time, it might not be there and what. But every time, but every time, it time is. it's there. Yep, yep. Like even in the third one, when the they're driving to get back. 
they're like, why are you driving at that board? You're in the desert. You don't have to drive at this thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but it works, and it's great. <laughs> and I love that they and have I should to. Stop, and I should stop poking holes in it. There's no holes to poke. Whatever. And what I love <laughs> is that when the timer goes off, they have to get the fuck out of the way because that's where the DeLorean is. Because he jumped, you know, Einstein in the DeLorean jumped over that minute. So now he comes back. Cars, you know, ice cold. It worked. Einstein's clock is one minute behind. It everything's great. So now we've shown that we can do time travel thanks to the flux capacitor. By the way, great name. It really is, isn't it? Unbelievable yeah. name. It's it's so fucking good. And so here's the thing that happens. Doc tells Marty the story about how the idea for the flux capacitor came came to him, which was back on November fifth, nineteen fifty five. He was hanging uh i believe it was hanging a clock and he slipped bumped his head when he came to he had a premonition a vision for the flux capacitor and he spent his entire family fortune on creating this thing and now it works which by the way he had a vision for an upside down y i just want to throw that out there it's called a flux capacitor goal <laughs> have some goddamn respect it fluxes okay and, capa- and capacitates. My bad. Yes. Keep going. So what <laughs> happens is he's, you know, looking out at the at the parking lot and he's like, I remember when this was all farmland, old man Peabody had this dream of breeding pine trees. And he gives this look, which Christopher Lloyd just gives us amazing looks in this film and everything he's in. He's just his comedic genius is always on display. And it's under it's underrated. Very underrated. I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. So basically, Doc has plutonium. We know that this shit was stolen by the Libyans, and we find out that Doc got that plutonium from them in order to build them a bomb, but he gave them a bomb casing with some old pinball machine parts, and they find out where Doc is, drive after him in like a VW van, (laughs) which is perfect, and then they decide, well, we have to kill Doc, they kill Doc. They try to kill Marty. Their gun jams. Marty jumps into the DeLorean. He's trying to escape from them. He says, let's see if you bastards can do 90. Well, we know 88 miles an hour, there's another charge of plutonium. One charge, one trip. But Doc had put one more in because he was going to leave. He was going to go to the future or wherever. And now Marty travels. But the date that was set on the DeLorean was November 5th, 1955. So that's where Marty goes. And we see him instantly transported and he runs into old man Peabody's barn. And I I just need, before we get into 1955, we got to talk about the Libyans for a second. (laughs) Yep. Um, uh, (laughs) Deborah Scott, Oscar winner Deborah Scott for Titanic. She did the costume design for Titanic. Um, (laughs) Bad beat on the Libyan costume design. Yeah. Not super great. Yeah. Very, uh, I guess, jingoistic would be the the term. I mean, it's if you were to tell me what does a stereotypical Libyan look like, I could probably come up with just about that. Yeah, I think they went around the table and they were like, "What do you think?" And she was like, "Not racist enough." Next, <laughs> exactly. Nope, I'm not. Nope, not racist enough. And finally, somebody was like, "I got it." Yep. We do the picnic thing on the head <laughs> and this terrible, like this just terribly fucking racist uh, look for the Libyans. Yeah. And they pull out like a, a shoulder mounted rocket. Yeah. No, that's like this huge like bazooka like thing, which is crazy. Yeah. It was not, 
didn't age well. What the Libyans look like to me is in Team America World Police when they do the Valmorification and they just like yes. paste the beard on him and they just give him eyebrows. Yep. That's what they did. Yep. That's what it was. Yeah, it was uh, in a movie where a lot of shit aged just fine. Not great. Not great. No, not great. But anyway, now we're in 1955. Yep, we're there. And th- this is this is where uh, Leah Thompson stands out big time. Because she looks like 1955. Oh, God, does she ever. Where Deborah Scott let the Libyans down, she really came to play with the whole costume design of Leah Thompson in 1955. Exactly. And we'll we'll get to that in a second here because Marty is at the Peabody Farm. Physical comedy by Michael J. Fox, by the way. Just want to point out, spectacular in everything he's been in, but especially in this film. So fucking good. Uh, even in Teen Wolf, there's some good physical comedy there. He's he's an incredibly gifted physical comedian. He really I is. I mean, there's no doubt about that. He really is. Marty doesn't know where the fuck he is. He's getting fucking shot at by by old man Peabody. As he escapes in the DeLorean, he takes out one of the pine trees. So what was Twin Pines Mall, which was Mr. Peabody's land? Now there's one pine tree. That's going to come back in the end. Uh, I just love those things. It all works. <laughs> It's just great. You 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 are an Easter egg guy. I like really you are am. a big yeah. tie up these like obscure loose ends that have shit to do with the movie. <laughs> Love that. That's, Love that about you, man. Yeah. Um. So he he races out and the DeLorean's dead. He's got no more plutonium. Doesn't know where the fuck he is. Um. He's got a vest, jeans, jacket, button up shirt, suspenders. I mean, he does not look like he's from 1955. And he ends up walking into Hill Valley. And I also think that, you know, once he gets into Hill Valley and he, he notices, like, something's really fucking wrong. Yeah. And I've never traveled through time. I imagine it would be a bit of a mind fuck. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to judge Marty on this, but uh, here I go. <laughs> so he's walking through Hill Valley and he goes to kind of the town square. Yep. And when he goes in uh, to talk to the soda jerk. <laughs> Lou's Diner. Yeah. When he goes into Lou's Diner. And he's like, yeah, I'll, uh, you know, I want to use the phone and I'm looking up Doc Brown and I'm calling and I'm trying to get the address. And then the guy's like, hey, do you want to order something? You know, come on, kid, order something. He orders like it's 1985. Like, does he like, I mean, you got to start at some point having a little understanding of where the hell you're at. I guess that's I guess that's true. And it's I just I haven't gone 30 years in the past when I wasn't alive then. But but like the idea of like. Shoot me a tab. Like, I have a feeling if I blasted back to 1955, and he'd been there for what? At least eight hours? Well, I don't think he'd been there that long yet, because he had just walked to Hill Valley, which was like three miles away. And so he walked into town, saw the clock tower. But it was pitch black when he got to it was, Peabody's. It was, it was dawn when he got to Peabody. Okay, so maybe so. Away, okay, so. You know, it's the okay. lights starting to come in and, and stuff like that. But to, to your point, yes, he should fucking know that. I ain't in 1985, that's for damn sure. Yeah, so maybe Pepsi-free is probably not what I should ask for. Yeah, just something But it sets up some sugar. good jokes, and it sets up them yeah. making fun. Like, I get why it's done. It's just one of those things that you're like, Marty, <laughs> we're going to need to pick up the pace here. I don't think the SATs are going to be your friend. I will say, though, Lou is a little ornery with him. Um, he is. He like, is. Cantankerous. Yeah. Uh, but we also do meet Goldie. As the busboy. We do. Who's the future mayor who we've already seen. So another Easter egg for you there, Cole. Uh, and Marty actually gives him <laughs> the idea to be to be mayor. He does. He's like, he is going to be somebody. He's going to be mayor. 
which he obviously didn't need because he became mayor anyway. True. We're not going to get into time stuff. <laughs> I'm not getting into I thought that's not me getting into time stuff. <laughs> God damn, so many rules, well, we don't man. Know. Did he give him that fully that idea first? Does this always happen? Here's the thing. In the beginning, when Marty actually goes back to the past, was there the future Marty already looking back at him? We don't know. We're not doing Mind the time blown. thing, man. You told me. You told me very it. clear. We're not doing the time thing. But when he's in the diner, he sees his dad. And he also sees Biff and Biff's crew. They're picking on his dad because Biff wants his fucking homework, just like Biff won the reports back in 1985 from him. Same exact exchange. Same dynamic. Nothing has changed. And George leaves, and Marty chases after him. And he sees that, oh, my God, my dad's a fucking peeping Tom. He was not bird watching. He was trying to see some naked ladies. Yes. Yeah. One in particular. Yes, one in particular. And he falls out of this tree and almost gets hit by a car. But Marty pushes him out of the way. Marty gets hit by the car. Marty fucking hits his head on the, on the pavement. And one thing I love is, first of all, the Brando impersonation by Marty's grandfather, Sam yep. Baines. Stella! But what he says is, come on out here. I hit another one of these damn kids with my car. How many fucking kids has he hit with his car? Oh, no, dude. That's not what that's about. <laughs> oh, that's not it? This is, how many kids are peeping on my daughter? Like, so many kids <laughs> fall out of this fucking tree trying to peep on my daughter. That's true. That's a good point, but it's just it's just hilarious <laughs> but, to me. I mean, I'm not saying he should be hitting all of them with his car. Like, you should be able to fucking stop. Right. But I always took that as like, what is there, just like a fucking ladder where all the guys in town, like, Lorraine is just, it's known like 3.30 to 4. She's very slowly undressing and then redressing. Is that something that, like, you have a schedule and you're signing up for? Because I always took that as like, there are people in this fucking tree all the time. So, yeah, Marty pushes his dad out of the way. And now Marty's basically the one that got hit. And so Marty gets taken inside. Lorraine, his mom, he doesn't know it's his mom at the time, is taking care of him. Marty has hit his head. He wakes up and he's like, I just fucking had the weirdest dream that I went back to 1955 or that I went back in time. And he discovers it wasn't a dream. And his mom is the one taking care of him. And I mean, I just, I want to play this just because I love the way Michael J. Fox delivers this line. Horrible nightmare. Dream that I went back in time. It was terrible. Well, safe and sound now, back in good old 1955. 1955? You're my mom. You're my mom. My name is Lorraine. Lorraine Bates? But you're, uh, you're so, uh, you're so thin. You're so thin. It's just, it's perfect, right? <laughs> because, because what he wanted to say was, you're really good. You're really pretty. Yeah, like, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I'm now. having some weird feelings being in my purple Calvin Klein underwear in front of my mom right now. This is not right. Yeah. <laughs> Game of Thrones is 30 years away, but <laughs> at some point, this is going to be all right. No kidding. I just got to wait. I just got to wait this out. So Marty goes downstairs. He meets his fucking family. Joey is the baby who's in the playpen because he loves the bars. Great line, by the way. I love it, it when he's like, yeah, get used to those little fellas. No kidding. That was just fantastic. Get used to these bars, kid. So Lorraine, I just want to point out the fact that when in the future, she's telling Marty that 
When I was a young girl, I never parked in a car with a boy or did anything with a boy. She is coming on to him at this dinner so fucking strong. It is yeah. it is crazy. Like I can see why Disney was a little worried about some of this shit. She's she's ready. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Yep. She wants to party. Marty's not comfortable. Nor should he be. No, no. Mar- Mar- Marty gets it. I yeah. mean, and there's no, in the Lorraine's defense, there's no reason she should get it. No, totally. But Marty gets it. He put in a kibosh on that. This isn't, this isn't, what is that? The secret with David Duchovny? It's not that. <laughs> We're not having that issue. Good reference. So Marty goes and he finds where Doc lives. There's the whole great John F. Kennedy thing. Like, <laughs> who the hell is John F. Kennedy? By the way, like, Kennedy gets elected five years later. It's not like Kennedy dropped out of the sky in 1960. I, I assume they would know who John F. Kennedy was, but... Well, Sam Bain's evidently not a learned man, so... <laughs> he's, he's into the honeymooners, though, and that's what's He's definitely that's what's into important. the honeymooners, that's for sure. Doc doesn't believe him because when he asks Marty, who's president of the United States in 1985, he says, Ronald Reagan. And Doc's like, Ronald Reagan? The actor? <laughs> and it's just... <laughs> I always loved that line. It was just fucking perfect. Oh, it's, it's hilarious. It is. And appara- apparently uh, President Reagan thought it was funny as hell, too. I bet he did think that was funny. I bet he no, did. No, I did. I, I read it. I, I guess it was like he really liked it. They were worried about it. They had to send the movie or the script wow. or whatever. They sent it to the president just to make sure that, you know, it wasn't, you know, going to offend him. And I guess he liked it a lot. That's great. So Marty convinces uh, Doc that he's from the future by telling him the story of what happened to Doc earlier that day about the vision of the flux capacitor and he plays him the, the tape, the recording that he has, and it shows that he needs 1.21 gigawatts and, or sorry, gigawatts and Doc's like I'm sorry kid, you're fucking stuck here. Maybe in 1985 you can get plutonium at the corner store, but we don't have that kind of power here. We don't have anything that can generate that. So we don't have what it's going to take to send you back. That's another thing I thought was funny about Marty, where it's like he knew that in 1985, Doc had to steal plutonium mm-hmm. from the Libyans. But then he just looks at Doc. He's like, no, man, you just need some plutonium. Yeah, we just got to get some. You, you're a scientist. You can do it plutonium, all. Plutonium, get, get that plutonium going. But that's when the flyer from the beginning comes back to play because they know exactly when the lightning is going to strike the clock tower. And Doc says a bolt of lightning is the only thing that they have that could generate that kind of power. So now we set up what we need to do. Next Saturday night, 10.04 p.m., lightning is going to strike that clock tower. We need to harness that, channel it into the flux capacitor, and then send Marty back to the future. I think it's a great plan. The only problem is, Doc says, you can't just hang out here for a week and be like interacting with people because you have no idea how that's going to impact future events. And it may already have because Marty's like, well, I... Kind of, sort of, ran into my parents. Yeah, sort of went to second base with mom, (laughs) which was a little... And Doc's like, let me see that photograph of you and your brother and sister again. And you can see that Dave doesn't have a head anymore. Yeah. And we see later on in the film when Marty starts to disappear, he's in pain. He's like, his hands disappearing. So, throughout this entire film... His brother and sister are in excruciating fucking pain somewhere. <laughs> or are they dead because they totally disappear? Yeah, they do. Eventually, they eventually I think they do die at one point yeah. when shit's not yeah, looking good. Yeah, by the good, enchantment at the sea dance, like, they're dead. Exactly. They're, they're, they're done. They're gone. But, I mean, Dave is, like, walking around without a head. Uh, yeah, Linda's, but Dave like, was a, no arms. Dave was a, 
dick in the beginning anyway. It doesn't matter. That's true. That's true. He's a dick in the end, too, honestly. He is, man. Yeah. They both suck in the end. Like, yeah. I did like that they didn't, like, change them. It was just like, uh, he's an asshole in better clothes. Yeah. He goes to an office now instead of a Burger King. Right. So they basically decide that they have to go to the school because they have to fix what Marty did. They need to get Lorraine interested in George and get rid of her infatuation with Marty. But Marty discovers that, well, I think he puts it best. Doc, she didn't even look at him. This is more serious than I thought. Apparently your mother is amorously infatuated with you instead of your father. Whoa, wait, wait a minute. Doc, are you trying to tell me that my mother has got the hots for me? Precisely. Whoa, this is heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? What? The only way we're going to get those two to successfully bait is if they are alone together. So you've got to get your father and mother to interact in some sort of social... Well, what, you mean like a date? Right. Well, what kind of date? I don't know. What are kids doing in their 50s? Well, they're your parents. You must know them. What are their common interests? What do they like to do together? Nothing. Look, there's a rhythmic ceremonial ritual coming up. Of course, the enchantment under the sea dance. They're supposed to go to this. That's where they kiss for the first time. All right, kid. You stick to your father like glue and make sure he takes you to that dance. I just, I just love this whole exchange. Marty yeah. with she's got the hots for me, the rhythmic ceremonial which ritual line. It's all, it's all perfect. But we have the plan set out. Like we need to get them to this dance so they can kiss and they can fucking fall in love. But George wants to have nothing to do with this because he's like, Lorraine doesn't like me. No, he's all into science fiction, man. He's all in on yep. his programs. Totally. He's got his he's got his stories and he's got his programs and he's like, I don't like Lorraine. And here's the other thing, like, if George and again, I'm not trying to poke holes, it's just something that is very interesting to me about how they get the motivations of the characters going, is George I think was peeping on Lorraine. Yes. Obviously. But then like this guy shows up, he's like, I want to introduce you to Lorraine. He's like, nah. Nah. Biff, Biff wants her. You know, Biff is there assaulting her at lunch. Yeah, Biff's over there sexually assaulting her. Uh, so I can't, obviously she's into that. Which Marty has to come to the rescue. So then Biff, now now Marty's on Biff's radar because Biff wants to beat the shit out of Marty if he ever sees him again. And right. George says that nobody on this planet can make him change his mind about asking Lorraine to the dance. To which Marty's like, you know what? He likes science fiction. I got just the outfit. I'm going to break into his house. <laughs> play some got just the outfit i'm gonna break into the house i'm gonna play some edward van halen and i'm gonna say that my name is darth vader i am an extraterrestrial from the planet vulcan and it works and i love that steve spielberg and zemeckis put this in there because you know george lucas when he saw this was like you motherfuckers had to put star wars and star trek in the same sentence you fucking assholes and steve was like uh-huh. Yep, we had to. That, that, that's what happens. <laughs> so that convinces George, and he tells Marty that he's got to ask her to the dance. They have the diner scene where George goes in there to ask the right out. Marty's in there. He's watching the whole thing, and then Biff comes in. And to say that what happens after this is one of the best scenes I've ever seen is to just put it mildly, because I must have watched this scene a thousand times growing up because from the moment that Marty and Biff 
like, are about to go to blows, and Marty says, what, what the hell is that? And then he knocks, he runs into Biff, not, runs the other guys out. Then he punches Biff, runs into the other guys, and then runs outside and creates a skateboard. I just, the whole chase scene, everything, which when you actually go to the back lot of Universal and you see how small this set is, it never felt that way when you're watching the movie that they're basically going around in a fucking circle. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> but No, and this goes to Zemeckis' camera yep. work. Like, the, the, the camera is flying around to make this look like it's going a million miles mm-hmm. an hour. And it's, they really are just going in a circle, but you're invested in every single second of it. And because they're they're cha- he's changing the level of the yep. camera a lot. Some of it's from way up top, so you can sort of see the square. Some of it's from really down low. All you're seeing are the wheels on the yep. skateboard. And when they when you play with the camera like that, and like you said, you turn it into a character, it makes what would be a mundane scene. And a lot of directors would have just been like, "I'm going to station a camera in one location and maybe a camera in a second, and we're just going to cut between these two stationary cameras yep. and try to make the speed happen with a quick cut." Uh, that's not what happens here, and that's why a scene that could have been really fucking terrible is historic. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you've how many times have you seen this scene? I can't even count how many times. I would watch this scene over and over again. Yeah, it's been ripped off a hundred times. Totally. Uh, I mean, they even do the same exact scene in Back to the Future Part Two, and it's still amazing when they do it there. It's it's still great. yep. So basically, Biff and his crew run into a manure truck. Marty gets away. Lorraine is even more smitten with Marty now. If that was fucking possible, like she's ready to go. So much. Well, so, he he is a he's a dreamboat. He is a dreamboat. I think we're establishing. <laughs> I did want to. I, I did wish I had like a pitch counter for how many times she says "dreamboat" and or "dream," because in about a five minute uh, sequence, the only thing they were writing in the script for Lorraine was, "Isn't he a dream?" Yep. Isn't he a dream? Yep. He's such a dream. And you know what? Fuck them. They're right. So Lorraine follows Marty back to Doc's house and where Marty where Marty is staying now, and she's like, "Look, motherfucker." Ask me to this damn dance, okay? I'm gonna. I want to go with you. How great are the po- poodle skirts, by the way? And yep. by the way, if I'm getting poodle skirt wrong, email me, tweet at us, let me know. I apologize, but I think that's what it is. You would know better than me. <laughs> just looking at it, going, she's just so perfectly fifties. Yeah. Like of all the characters, besides the fact that everyone's going to school in like a suit and tie or whatever, she is just so quintessentially fifties, and. I don't really want the camera off of her because it just the the nostalgia. Not that I grew up in the fifties, but the nostalgia for that yeah. is all built up in her character. I love. I it. I mean, she's extremely captivating every time she's on the screen. Yeah, and I just she's a great actress, and I loved her and everything she's been in. That run from eighty one to Howard the Duck, like I'd love <laughs> to see what happened to her career if Howard the Duck didn't happen. That's a good point. I mean, Caroline in the City did did you know had a pretty good run. Classic 90s sitcom, yeah. No, and, and, you know, from all the right moves through, you know, the Back to the Futures, like, she's just good. Yeah. Was it Casual Sex was that other film, which I thought was pretty good that she was in? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was a good one. And I think her and, you know, she was in that uh, era with Annie Potts, so I have a feeling that they were flip-flopping a bunch of roles. Yeah. Some Kind of Wonderful, a very underrated teen film that she was in. I really enjoyed that one as well. But basically what we end up seeing here is that the plan unfolds. So Marty is going to take Lorraine to the dance, but he tells George that, look, I the plan is, is that around 8.55 that night, 
Lorraine's not going to be happy with what I'm going to do because I'm going to try to put some moves on her. So you come outside, you see us struggling, you open the car door, you punch me out, you grab her, you say, here we, here we go, I, you know, I've rescued you, and now you guys basically go to the dance and live happily ever after. Very simple plan. You know, it's, there you go. Like, George needs this confidence that Marty is trying to, to give him here. Can we all agree, though, that this was a flawed plan from Jump Street? Oh, 100%. Because Marty, again, I just don't think Marty's very smart. Because Lorraine was trying to have sex with him at her parents' house Uh right before dinner. Uh So in what fucking world was he like, I'm going to try to make out with her and she's going to hate that? Here's the thing. This is his mom. And I think he's got the blinders on of really still thinking, like, this is my mom. My entire life she's told me, like, this is what girls do. This is what's proper. I don't know what that was the other night when I first got there. I really don't know (laughs) Uh, the fact that she followed me home. I'm not saying he's the smartest guy by being able to pick up clues. But I think in his mind he cannot put out the fact that, this nah, this is my mom. So when it comes down to it, she's going to be approved because that's what she's been my entire life. And you're probably right. Like, I, I'm not trying to read too much into it, and I'm not trying to be buzzkill or anything. It's just these are always questions that I had where, like, just stand her up, man. And then, like, George can come by and take her to the dance. Exactly. Just stand just stand her up. This this works out way better because it's fucking hilarious. It, it really is. The two, of them, the two of them in the car is spectacular. So we're at the night of the lightning storm of the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, and Marty is with Doc, and they're setting up the, the stuff. And Marty... Writes Doc a letter because Doc is talking about how he can't wait that he's to be in the future and to be able to talk to Marty about this in 30 years and everything that's happened in the past few days. But Marty knows that Doc's going to die in the future. The Libyans are going to kill him. And Doc is very adamant that no one should know too much about their future because it can cause the end of the space-time continuum, all this kind of shit. So Marty writes a letter and wants to sneak it in Doc's coat pocket which he does, and then Marty goes, picks up Lorraine, goes to the dance, parks with her, and she pulls out some fucking alcohol that she swiped from her mom's liquor cabinet. And Marty's like, what the fuck is going on here? Says, well, I didn't expect this. She's smoking. She's like, you know, he's like... She's ready to get down? She's totally ready to get down. And Marty's like, did you ever have like a time where you knew you had to do something, but you were wondering like when the time came, if you'd actually be able to do it? And she's like, yeah, you mean like how we're supposed to fuck? I mean, that's basically what she's <laughs> yeah, saying. No, she's, and that was another that was another thing that confused me about it because it was like, Marty, your plan was to make out with your mom? Yeah, not a great plan. <laughs> I mean, you know? just there were all I'm saying is there were options. Yeah. So. She kisses him, realizes right away it's like kissing her brother. Something's wrong here. And then she's like, someone's coming. Marty thinks it's George because it's right around that time. George is late because he was too busy drinking punch and dancing. And who is, who's at the car? But Biff. My, my, man, my main man, Biff. Bringing the pain. Marty caused 300 bucks damage to Biff's car. And as Biff said, he's going to take it out of his ass. Which is a bizarre place to get that deposit. I mean, well, first off, Biff doesn't know this, but Marty's going to have to take his hand out of it first. And then he can try and withdraw some money from that account. (laughs) So Biff punches Marty. Uh, Biff's goons take Marty. They throw him in the back of the band's car, which I just have to, like, 
here's the thing. We're going to get to the, the band's car in a second here, but Biff is now trying to rape Lorraine. Yep. That is That's the pretty plan. obvious. That's the exactly plan, what's the, going on. He literally tells his guys, I'm not going to be long. Take care of this. Get out of here. I have rape to do. This ain't no peep show. Yeah. Like, I, I have. Get out it, of here. It is a rape show, but <laughs> it is not a peep show. No, I was going to say, and this is where it becomes extraordinarily difficult to buy the end of the movie. Yeah. This is where, if you remember this scene and then you watch the end, you're like, that doesn't make sense, but we're going to get there in a little bit here. So they take Marty and they throw him in the back of the Marvin Berry and the Starlighters car. They're all fucking smoking pot and, and all that kind of stuff. And so they all come out when they hear the trunk slam and they're like, uh, we don't want to mess with you guys or anything like that. And they're like, oh, well, you you may, you messed up now, motherfucker. And so they go chase after him and they hear Marty like banging on the truck, trunk, sorry. And they're like, okay, we got to get you out of there. And who's got the keys? Marty's like, the keys are in here. And here's my, one of my biggest problems with the film. And I know this is minor, but. This is clearly just a device because they were like, how do we get Marty on stage? Well, Marty can play guitar. Well, we've shown that Marvin Berry is the guitar player, so we need to make it so Marvin Berry can't play guitar. Okay, so what if we have the keys in the trunk of the car that these guys are already in with the lights clearly on inside, so somehow the car was on when they were in there, but the keys weren't in there. Right. Keys were in the trunk. We'll get Marvin Berry to open up the trunk by jimmying it, slice his hand. Now Marty gets to play guitar. You guys could have done a lot better than this. Come on. All, all you had to do was have like Marvin Berry or something like have his hand close to it and like slam it in a door. Like that's all that had to happen. That's, that's all you needed. Yeah. But they have this whole elaborate thing, which is this is a little too much here, guys. But again, willing to let it go. That's how we get Marty out. And Dude, so, no holes. There are no fucking holes. <laughs> no holes. If we've learned anything <laughs> in this episode, there are no holes. But George is also, he knows that he needs to get to that car. And he sees that there's a struggle going on. He doesn't know Biff's in there. And when he opens the door, he's like, hey, you, get your damn hands off her. And then he sees it's Biff. And Biff's like, I think you better get the hell out of here. And... George is starting to stand up. He's starting to get some some confidence. He's like, no, Biff. I think you need to like, leave her alone. And so Biff gets out of the car. George tries to punch him, to which Biff just like grabs his arm. Because Thomas F. Wilson is a very imposing person. As a big especially man. Especially compared to Crispin Glover. Pretty big dude, right? Yeah. And so he grabs his arm. He's basically like getting ready to break it. And he starts laughing. Lorraine's like, no, stop. You got to like, don't do this. Don't hurt him. And George finds his strength, man. He, yeah. he makes that fist and he punches Biff out. He punches the shit out of him. Yes, he does. A lot of torque. He, he, A lot of torque. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what, what I think is fucking hilarious is in one of the previous 40 drafts of the film before they settled on how they actually wanted uh, the end of this movie to turn out, it wasn't that. George became a successful person in business or wrote a book. He was a prize fighter. Are you serious? Yes. So he became when they when they flashed forward and he was successful now, he was successful as a prize fighter because of that punch. I mean, I like the fact that they changed it, but I don't think that's that bad. Like that's that's kind of funny. I think it's better the way that they did it because you really at the end of this one don't actually know why he's successful. 
Right. When he gets the box of books, it's his first novel. It's first not like novel. he had exactly. it's not like he has all that from everything. So I kind of like the ambiguity of mm-hmm. he's just a confident person and confidence has led to whatever sort of success he has. But man, does him turn it into a prize fighter change the tenor of the end of the movie and Oh god, does it ever. While I don't think it's better, I'm way fucking into how that would have worked out. Yeah. That's that's a I didn't know that man. That's a great little fact there. Look at you. Hey, I coming I, in strong. I knew I wasn't gonna have much substantive to say, so it's all about you know, internet you know little tidbits I can bring. <laughs> so Marty sees that George punches him. So Marty thinks that everything's kind of cool now. But when he goes back to Marvin Barry's group, they're like, "We can't play anymore." And Marty's like, "But if you don't play, then they can't dance. If they can't dance, they can't kiss. If they can't kiss, they can't fall in love." And I'm history. And more importantly, I can't invent rock and roll. I, I cannot. If you don't, rock and roll. <laughs> if yep. you don't let this shit go down. So George and Lorraine go into the dance and they're dancing. Marty's on stage. He's playing guitar. Things are looking good. But then this fucking asshole jerk cuts in. George doesn't put up a fight. He doesn't kiss Lorraine. He starts walking off. And as that happens, Marty starts to like really be in some severe pain and they even have the shot, which I think still holds up of his hand like disappearing as he's yeah, looking no, at there, it. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that effect. And he's getting erased from existence. And then all of a sudden, George comes back and says, excuse me, pushes the guy, grabs Lorraine, kisses her. Marty's back instantaneous. The music swells. It's a triumphant moment. It's so well directed. You're, you're pulling for these people so hard. And this is like the climax of it. They kiss. Everyone reappears in the picture. Dave was like already completely gone. So was Linda. Marty was half gone. They all reappear. So Dave, after being in excruciating pain along with Linda, somewhere they're okay right now. And it's, it's all good. Well, and the brilliance of it is that all of this happens in fairly short order. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. something that they, again, drag out and drag out and drag out. I mean, you go from Marty and Lorraine in the car to George and Lorraine kissing. What do you think? Five minutes? Yeah, exactly. And you kind of think like, you kind of think at that point, you're like, okay, we've accomplished what we need to accomplish, but there's so much more to go. And I don't want to gloss over the fact that Marty is, they're like, you want to, let's do another one. You right. play the guitar. Well, let's the, do you can't like, gloss over because it's maybe the most popular scene in the film. Exactly. What happens is, is Marty's like, okay, I, uh, I've got an oldie. Well, it's an oldie where I come from. And he tells the band, you know, listen to blues riff and changes, all this kind of stuff. And he starts playing Johnny Be Good. And yeah. it just sounds fucking awesome. And Marvin Berry happens to be Chuck Berry's cousin, calls up Chuck and is like, you got to listen to this, holds the phone up. And so now we know where the genesis of Johnny B. Good came from and Chuck Berry's whole career and rock and roll and, and everything. It's just, it's a good, it's just a great fucking scene and yeah. everyone dancing, Marty playing the guitar and it's, I love it. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, ad nauseum in other podcasts, but I don't think in scenes like this, it's imperative that an actor knows how to play the guitar or that an actor plays the piano himself or that an actor is singing himself. I don't yeah. think that that makes the performance, but in the way that Zemeckis wanted to film this, which is showing a lot of the guitar playing, I think it was great that uh, Michael J. Fox learned how to play Johnny B. Good. Mm-hmm. I think it paid off really, really well um, to the point where he was apparently there's a video on YouTube of him cur- or like not currently, but very recently playing it with Coldplay on stage <laughs> somewhere. So that was interesting. 
Yeah, Johnny Be Good and Coldplay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, good. Uh, this well, you know what? Fuck it. It's not a Coldplay co- uh, podcast, so we don't have to talk about them anymore. <laughs> but uh, it's just such an iconic scene, and he kind of goes off the rails at the end, which is like everybody's rocking and rolling, and then they stop and they're like, "What the hell are you doing with this yeah. ridiculous yeah. guitar solo?" And that's where he has the classic line, "Well, you know, your your kids are gonna love it," and it's just sort of the movie really starts cooking towards the end at that point. It really does, because now you're like, well, we still need to get this fucker back to the future. There's a lot of plots going on Mm -hmm. that need endings and need earned endings. They can't just stop. Like, you have to actually earn the relationship between George and uh, Lorraine. And what's the brilliance of this screenplay is that you're able to get that satisfying ending that you knew was coming. Because it was unlikely that they were going to let Michael J. Fox die in this movie. Mm -hmm. But that you feel like they went through the steps necessary to to deserve that conclusion to that storyline. To the point where you almost forget until they get together. Oh shit, we're not 1985. We still got to get to the DeLorean. Like we've got to get to this other thing. And it's a fucking masterwork of filmmaking and storytelling that they're able to get the audience to forget about kind of the a plot for a second and really just concentrate on like dude we but before we even get to that we got to get these two together it's it's fucking brilliant you're you hit the nail on the head man you described it perfectly it's it's exactly right it's just it's what makes this film so great and it all does feel earned marty says goodbye to his parents he gets over to doc and they're like okay you you just made it here just in fucking time when this timer goes off you're going to blast back here. But then Doc finds the letter in his coat, rips it up. Marty's like, fuck, what am I going to do? And so there's a whole story here because we have like seven minutes and the clock is ticking real quick because you can't tell lightning to wait. We know the exact second that this fucker strikes the clock tower. So we cannot be late for this or Marty is stuck there. Marty's in the car and Marty's like, why would you have to rip up that letter? And he's like, if I just had more time. So he's like, you know what I can do? I can warn Doc, so I'm going to actually, and this may speak to to you with Marty not being the most intelligent guy, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes. Right. Why not take an hour, dog? Yeah. Like, it's just, you're cutting it close. You could go a day. I mean, there's no need. (laughs) Really? Like, hey, Doc, I have the time machine here. Yeah. It works. We don't want to get shot by Libyans. He could mess up the whole space-time continuum and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into it. But, so, Marty's doing that. The car won't start. Right. He fucking finally hits his head on the steering wheel. The car starts. He jams the gas. Meanwhile, Doc is like, because a tree fell because of the storm, it unplugged one of the power lines there. So, he has to go up to the top of the clock tower, which is just some great comedic and just acting by Christopher Lloyd in general. But... The tension in this whole scene, and this is something where every time I watch this fucking thing, I always am like, are they going to make it? I know, I've seen the movie over a thousand times, but the tension is built so perfectly that you're like, I don't know, they're cutting it so fucking close. Doc finally gets the power connected, but then in pulling that, the one that's down by the the road where where Marty's going to actually travel through time and has to get it connected, that fucker gets connected. So he has to slide all the way down and connect that at just the last second. It's just fucking perfect it's beautiful and the greatness of the scene to me is they don't turn doc into a superhero no they, it's it's a clumsy conclusion and yep. successful mission but it's not something where he's like all right even when he slides down the cord he's like 
I don't fucking know how to do this. I'll just loop these here and I'll just uh, slide down to the ground and fall on the ground. It's not like he does a, you know, double gainer and fucking yeah. lands right there and plugs in the thing and everything's perfect. I still don't know how he doesn't die from the electrocution, but. Yeah, because he's holding on to it when that 1.21 gigawatts or gigawatts is going right through. So I also do have a question uh, because yeah. they have a like save the clock tower thing, mm-hmm. um, which obviously wouldn't have changed what happened prior to Marty going back in time. But, like, I assume Doc got, like, hardcore sued um, (laughs) because he basically turned the clock tower into a lightning rod in order to do this experiment. And I I can't imagine that right after that he was like, all right, I got to clean this shit up. Uh, (laughs) I got to get all this down. Like, I'm just saying. All I have to say is the Browns have quite a bit of money, so I'm sure he had the funds to get out of legal troubles. (laughs) and and to get out of it it was like i'll pay to get out of the case um but i'm not going to pay to fix the clock tower no, um i will happen. i will however uh give to the mayor's fund or something well here's the crazier thing to me is if you remember in back to the future part 3 marty and doc took a picture in front of the clock tower cuz doc built the clock yes don't you think that when they see the history books when marty's in school or when marty's parents are in school but they're like, oh, that that guy kind of looks familiar now, or like, anyway, we're not going to cover that. But it's just like this whole. <laughs> I love, this whole I love thing. how we've said we're not going to cover that nineteen times, so we've pretty yeah. much covered it. We well, um, we haven't like dissected that, that there it, are, per se, but, but there <laughs> are issues um, with certain things. Yeah. But all of those issues don't take away from how great the movie is no, and how much fun you have with it. And you know, once you know, he gets back to nineteen eighty five. And he goes home, and he gets in bed, and he sticks his hand in his ass again, and he falls all asleep. Right. All right, all right, we're, we're, that's not what happens. That it, when he wakes up, his hand is in his ass you're again. You're glossing over something. I, you're just too excited to get back to him with his hand in his ass. You're glossing over the fact that he gets back to 1985. He's trying to stop Doc from getting killed. I'm he, sorry, I thought you covered it. I apologize. Nope. I thought you had already covered it. My bad. <laughs> car I'm sorry. Dies. He sees the Libyans in their VW van <laughs> racing over there. So he races over to the mall, jumps over Red, the former mayor, and he gets to the mall. But the mall is not the Twin Pines Mall anymore. It's the Lone Pine Mall because, remember, Marty took out one of the pines. So that's why they named it Lone Pine Mall. Marty sees himself go back to the future. So he didn't make it there in time because he had to run there. And Doc has been shot. So he goes down there. He's mourning the death of Doc. The thing is, when Marty goes back in time... The Libyans crash into a one-hour photo booth, and there's no explosion or anything like that. The Libyans aren't hurt, and if they are, it's a minor scratch. So Marty and Doc are sitting there. The whole van tips over, which I'm like... Yeah, like, they're fine. They can get out of this fucking thing. I don't think they're They're unconscious, whatever. No No holes, man. Stop it. No fucking (laughs) holes. (laughs) So... Marty starts like is getting emotional because Doc's dead. He didn't he didn't have time to save him. But then Doc gets up, and he shows Marty that he has a bulletproof vest. And Marty's like, "How did how did you know?" And he shows him the letter that he had taped back together and read. And Marty's like, "What about all that stuff about no one should know too much about their future and the space time continuum?" And I love what I love what Doc Brown says right here. What about all that talk about screwing up future events, the space-time continuum? Well, I figured, what the hell? 
I just love the way he says that. It's well, just, it, it, it's a good it adds so much heart to the movie. Oh, God, yeah. You know, because one thing that we've kind of talked about throughout, uh, well, I, I should say that we've uh, touched on, but the chemistry between uh, Doc Brown and McFly is so great. Like, it's the, the friendship there is spectacular. And that is something that carries it through the next two movies. Yeah. You know, that connection. And they're, they, they are kindred spirits. They're people who are doing things that uh, are difficult to do. You know, whether it's in the first one, like, he wants to be a rock star. That's a really hard thing to do that people are kind of telling him he can't do. Doc Brown's fallen on really hard times trying to be this inventor. And it's just not. But they believe in each other. And they always trust yeah. each other. And it's a beautiful thing. It really is. I mean, I, I love the friendship in this film. I mean, even in the beginning when Marty is like kind of backing away when I, when Doc's driving the car for Einstein to go into the future and, you know, Doc kind of gives him this look. Just without even saying anything, you can see this connection, this friendship that they have. This Absolutely. It's just so perfect. They go so well together. I really can't imagine Eric Stoltz in that role no, at God, all no. being able to connect. Well, and, and uh, from what I read, like Christopher Lloyd didn't like Eric Stoltz either. Like it, he made some comedies like, oh, when they fired Eric Stoltz, I didn't know who they were talking about because I had to call him Marty. So I, <laughs> I thought that was that guy's name. Oh, uh, gosh. But like, so after the mall, uh, Michael J. Fox goes home, yep. then sticks his hand in his ass to fall asleep. <laughs> so he wakes up and he comes out in the living room and he has an envelope. And so it's like maybe some of the theories are that now he has his demo tape that he's going to send in somewhere. Right. Um, so his character, you know, he's he's evolved now. He's he's learning some things. His brother and sister, Linda and Dave, are more successful. The house is a lot nicer. Marty's parents are coming back from playing tennis at the club. They Look seem great. to be having a very loving relationship. He Marty's like, well, I can't go to the lake because the car is wrecked. Like, wrecked? What the fuck happened? They look outside. It's like, no, there's Biff putting the second coat of wax on it. Now, here's the thing. We're going to cover this right fucking now. Yep. What we saw Biff do the last time we saw Biff before he got punched out by George was he was attempting to rape Lorraine. Now, let's fast forward 30 years, Cole. Mm -hmm. Let's say your wife, there had been an attempted rape that you saved her from, and you needed your car to be detailed. Would the first thought you had be, I'm going to hire that guy from high school that tried to rape my wife? And then would you then say when you see him, waxing the car and trying to pull a fast one on you say ah biff what a character well you know if it wasn't for him we never would have fallen in love yeah if it wasn't for him you also never would know what it's like to be attempted raped so what the fuck are we talking about here yeah there, there's a real jump that they ask the that they ask the audience to do to buy this fact that biff is still in their life mm -hmm. and in no way am I, you know, forgiving the 1955 Biff, who gets even worse in uh, number two. But yeah. it's it's a credit, I think, to Tom Wilson that at the end you're not disgusted with the film. Mm -hmm. It really is a credit to everyone. It's a, yeah, well. it's a credit to the writing, but it, it's but it's a credit you're right, to you're right. it's a credit to Tom Wilson that there's always a goofball element, even when he's trying to be menacing as Biff in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And you never take him a hundred percent seriously. And I'm not I'm not talking about the the scene in the parking lot, but throughout the movie, I think because you never buy totally into this evilness that Biff is, you're allowing yourself to buy the end of the movie. Right. And it's 
it's a the older you get, the harder it is to sort of stomach or digest that particular part of the the screenplay and that particular part of the film because there's no goddamn way. I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody who uh, you know ascribes a ton of my life to toxic masculinity, but if that had happened to anybody I loved and uh they were still in my life, it would be hard to find that fucking body. I mean, it's just like you would never that that person would never be around any anything. I I agree with you. But what we do find out is that George has written a book now called A Match Made in Space. It's got the picture of Darth Vader that came to him, yep. which again, you would think when Star Wars came out, he would be like, well, I've heard that word before. I've heard that name before. Um, so it's got the two of them, Match Made in Space, all that stuff. Jennifer shows up. Marty's got that bitchin' 4x4. Four four. Um, and then all of a sudden, Doc shows up. And Doc's very futuristic. Before we get to futuristic Doc, I do have one other question. Because we're yeah. obviously questioning the reality of Biff being in their life. But can we also talk about the fact that there was this kid in high school uh-huh. that looks just like Marty. Yep. That was there for a week. Uh-huh. That Lorraine totally wanted to bang. Yep. And George is not aware that she thought it was like kissing her brother. Mm-hmm. And then they have a kid that looks just like him. And you're telling me George isn't like, I don't know where Calvin Klein is right now, but I know you <laughs> fucked him. I know. I don't know where he's. I'm going to look it up. I want to know. You cheated on me because I see these other two fucking gremlins that are my kids. <laughs> I want to know where in the fuck Marty McFly came from. But you got to figure it took like what? Let's say 14 years before he started to look like that in terms of where you're like, cause they only knew him for a week when he was 17. So maybe when he's 14 years old, does he start to look the way he looks when he's 17 in terms of facial features and all yeah, that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying George gets pissed off. Day one, I'm saying yeah. at some point, at some George point, is like, a conversation. you know what? Um, first of all, I have this kid that's not getting taller than 5'4", which is interesting. <laughs> Secondly, doesn't look like any of these other two fools. Third, real strong resemblance to that kid who, real responsible for you and me getting together. And the one you chose to name Marty. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I'm just at this point looking for some child support, I guess. Yeah. Uh, some shit better be coming in from the real father. I, I think that that is a, a bit of an unanswered question. The only thing, too, that I'll say is that in the McFly's defense, we find out in Back to the Future Part 3 that, you know, he has an, uh, a brother named Martin, Martin McFly, you know, was one of like the great, great, great grand uncle or whatever. So, you know, from the long family tree, there was a Marty McFly already. I'm glad you were able to. I'm glad you were able to paste that together. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, Doc shows up from the future, says, we got to go. There's some shit going down with your kids. You and Jennifer are okay, but there's some shit going down with your kids. Marty! Bring Jennifer along. <laughs> and then we get this great quote to close out the film. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. And that's it, man. And that's Back yeah. to the Future. Cole, yeah. I want to say thank you so much for indulging me and letting me just go off on this fucking whole thing, this whole spiel, because hey, uh, I you, love you this were awesome, overdue. man. You, you've been letting me uh, go off for far too long, so it was my pleasure, man. And you've absolutely picked a gem because this movie's fucking great. I, I was talking about it earlier in the episode that, I mean, 
I know you love this movie more than anybody I've ever met, but when it came to uh, trilogies, this and Indiana Jones were, I mean, I wore them out. I got them on VHS. Then when I heard the DVDs were coming out with all the special features with that weird featurette with Kirk Cameron as the host, yep. you know, yep. uh, you know, I, I loved the whole story of how we're going to film two and three to get, I just learned as much mm-hmm. as I could about these films and we're obviously going to be doing uh, back to the future part two and back to the future part three at some point. Oh, absolutely. Um, because th- they are all three great films on their own. And then when you get to step back and look at them as a whole, it's just one of the best achievements that I-, I hope never gets touched. And I'm really happy to hear that, you know, Zemeckis and Gale own the rights to Back to the Future. Yeah. The studio doesn't. So absent their permission, none of these shitty reboots are, are going to ruin the sanctity of what they built. Uh, with these three films. So thank you for taking us through it. And, uh, you know, before we get out of here, you have any recommendations? Uh, I do. I do. Um, if you want the time travel like films, there's a film called time crimes and it's in, it's subtitled. And I believe Tom Cruise or someone of that stature is working on a remake for the U S it's a film that I really liked. It's a closed loop time travel movie. It's low budget, but it's really well done. I, I suggest everyone kind of check that out. Uh, my buddy Ricardo hates the film, so that's all the more reason to watch To it. watch that, yep. Yeah. And um, if you're going to want to watch some good Michael J. Fox films, I mean, you really can't go wrong with anything that he's in, but The Secret of My Success is one that I just fucking, I just love that movie. So, yeah, what about you? Any recommendations? I'm going to stay on the Michael J. Fox train and just kind of go off book a little bit, because like you said, the, the classics, the Doc Hollywoods, Secret of My Success, any of these, you, you can't go wrong with. But a forgotten romantic comedy that I think is fantastic is For Love or Money. Yep. Uh, Gabriel Anwar and him have fantastic chemistry in that film. And yep. that is classic Michael J. Fox. Like, he is running a mil- million miles a minute. And it's it's wonderful. It's just so good. And, and I don't even think it came up on our romantic comedies episode, which was, you know, one of the reasons we have to do a second one is there's too many movies to talk about in that vein. So Way too many. Yeah, my my one recommendation uh, this week's going to be check out for Lover Money. Let us know what you think about it, and uh, let us know what you think about the episode, the the series in general, the podcast. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SigBurnsPod. You can email us at cigarettebernspodcast at yahoo.com. And let us know what you think. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, you guys have been leaving us such wonderful reviews, and you've been hitting us with movies that we're tr- uh, we're going to watch. We're going to get to those. We're going to get to those reviews. Obviously, give you guys credit. So keep leaving us uh, those emails or those requests. Anything, we'll watch it. We'll review it. Um, pass that, man. Anything else? No. All I have to say is, what the hell is a jiggle <laughs> Later, guys. <laughs> <laughs>